Hello, and welcome to the Emmy Awards. I'm your host, Emmy Cardinale, and this is my podcast where I talk about what I've been watching or re-watching once a week. If this is the first episode of mine that you listen to and you enjoy it, please feel free to follow me wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get notified when I upload a new episode. If you've listened to a few episodes and you haven't rated and reviewed yet, please feel free to do that. It supposedly helps. I don't really know. Other podcasters say it, so you know, fake it till you make it. But thank you so much for tuning in. This episode, I do anticipate being longer than normal because there were two Bachelor episodes this week. So I'm going to talk about The Bachelor, Vanderpump Rules, and the latest Traders episodes. There will be timestamps, chapters in the description of this episode. So if you don't watch one of those shows or you only watch one of those shows, you can hop around as you want to. (laughs) So thank you so much. I have a lot to talk about, so I'm just going to jump straight into The Bachelor. Season 28, episode 4. The cult open is the two-on-one with Maria and Sydney that we all knew was coming after the last few episodes. Then the real opener is at The Bachelor Mansion. The women are talking about how the pool party was not fun because of the drama. Maria tells Allison that she's not the bully. Like She's like, I think it's clear that there is a bully and it's not me. Then Maria says she wants to move forward and remain positive. Jesse Palmer comes in and tells them that Joey is no longer there. They're going to Malta. In Malta, we see Joey say that he's excited to be in Malta, says Malta has an old school vibe, which people clowned on him for all over the internet. But like, is he wrong? What more of an old school vibe than... (laughs) Like, you know what? I I feel such a, a connection to to joey because that is something like random that i would say about like oh this is an old school vibe i'm talking about like an ancient city it's so funny he's just oh i love him anyways (laughs) he makes a, a, a joke about how he wants to take somebody to the alta before he does needs to be in malta it's cute i like joey i find him charismatic what can i say the women arrive at malta they're excited about the amenities they do the typical oh my god look at all of this this is so cool then they read the first date card and it's a one-on-one for lexi kelsey t and her itm says she's sad because she really wanted it this is kind of like an ongoing narrative from Kelsey D. I feel like throughout the, the two episodes that she really wants a one-on-one and she hasn't gotten one yet. So what I anticipate this meaning for Kelsey T is either she'll get a one-on-one in the next couple episodes or she'll go home without getting one and that'll kind of be her story that she really likes Joey, but she never got that one-on-one so their connection didn't go very far but we'll see we'll see who knows then on lexi's one-on-one joey and lexi walk around malta they see the sites a local asks them if they're married they play bocce they dance they talk it's a very typical seeing the sites when they're in a, in a foreign city date nothing much happens on the date portion back at the resort we see a girl chat with marie and allison maria says she's happy that lexi got her time and her time will come like maria's time will come then we see it's interesting because in this scene we have like parallel girl chats first we see the one with marie and allison and obviously this is an edited produced manufactured show who knows what we're seeing and what we're not like who knows what we're not seeing but i find it interesting at least from the edited product that we are receiving that 
Maria and Allison are talking about how they're they're happy for Lexi, but they also want time, but they want to be positive and move forward. Like they're they're it's a positive girl chat on Maria's side where she's not harping on the Sydney stuff. She's just saying she wants to move forward. Where then we see Sydney talk to Jess about how upset they are that Maria is still there. It's just an interesting contrast. And obviously this is what the show is trying to tell us, but it's an interesting thing to note. In her ITMs, Sydney says that she's feeling, she's been feeling like physically bad. She's like losing sleep. She's she's just not doing well physically because of the stress of the fight. Now this is said off face, like we don't see her say this. So who knows if she said this and it was about the Maria drama. I, I feel like it probably is. It doesn't seem like it was about a separate issue, but it, it is just interesting. I have a lot to say about all of this, but I do just always want to preface that these are like real people and it's a weird environment and it's an edited TV show. And just because I'm criticizing their behavior on the show, which I'm going to do, I'm not going to say like, oh, it's a weird environment. Who cares? I, I don't think that, that that's not my approach to things. I think it's okay to call out people's behavior. But I want to say that I'm not making and I'm trying not to make moralistic statements about how, who these people are as people. I'm talking about their behavior as presented on the TV show, because as a consumer of the TV show, I think it's important to point out patterns of behavior. And like, like I think one of the, the most interesting things about reality TV is the interpersonal human relationships that we're getting. And so I want to comment on that because I don't like their behavior. But this is not me trying to make any moralistic statements on who Sydney is as a person. Okay. I just, I like to say that at the beginning. Then back home, Lexi's one-on-one. They're at a church. Lexi says it reminds her of her grandfather. Then a priest comes up and they talk to him. He, they ask him what the success to a happy marriage is. He brings up children. Lexi from the first episode has been talking about how she has a medical condition that makes, that would make it possibly harder for her to have children. And so this is something that she's been wanting to talk about. It's kind of like part of me thinks that he was just paid to say this. Like, I don't know if he just came up with this on out of thin air, but On the other hand, I also don't think it's completely impossible that he would come up with it out of thin air because unfortunately, and I say unfortunately not because I don't think having children is like a beautiful, wonderful thing. I say unfortunately because I think you never know somebody's fertility situation and it's not really great to be like the important or even if they want to have children like having children is great if that's what you decide to do and that's the path your life takes but it's also totally fine to not have children and i don't think that saying like bring forth children about a successful marriage is necessarily true you know i don't think that's an effective way and again this is an old man priest like whatever it's a different like i'm not But I just think in general, like if somebody would ask me, I mean, I'm not married, but like in general, just this, like the success to relationships is not then having children. I don't know. In my opinion, I don't have children, nor am I married. So what do I know? At the hotel, a new date card comes going on the date are Jen, Daisy, Edwina, Caitlin, Allison, Rachel, Autumn, Kelsey T, Jess, Medina, Leia, and Kelsey A. So there are two people left over, Maria and Sydney, so they're sure they're going on a two-on-one. Maria says that she just wants to move forward. 
but it feels like Sydney doesn't want to. I don't know if she said that verbatim. I wrote that in my notes, but I, I don't remember. Then the women try to give them advice about just not letting the drama be the thing. They're like, just enjoy the time you have. Don't let this dictate the entire thing, which is a nice sentiment. But the whole purpose of a two-on-one is to resolve the conflict or not even resolve the conflict. But that is like the idea is to get these two women who have some kind of conflict isolated on this date and have the bachelor kind of pick a side, you know? So that's a nice thought. But unfortunately, due to the two-on-one structure, Joey is obligated to bring up the drama. Like it's not something he can just not bring up and be like, hi, Maria, how are you? Like he has to address it because that's the whole reason that they got put on the two-on-one. So it's like a nice idea, but unfortunately not really much of a possibility. Maria agrees, but she also says that she would she was called verb like verbally abusive. She was called a bully. Like these are things she needs to address. And then Sydney says that it's torture. She's been through enough. There's only so much one person can take. Like I just find it interesting the the ways each of them are talking about this situation. And this is what we were, I'm not gonna keep making all these disclaimers, but the origin of this conflict was that Maria said something. Sydney overheard it and Sydney told her friend about this thing that she heard, she overheard Maria say, right? That's how this whole thing started. And it wasn't even about Sydney, it was about her friend. Her friend seems to have squashed this beef with Maria, but Sydney did not let it go. To me, I just don't understand how you would be in this conflict that you inserted yourself into and say that you feel like it's torturing you and then not decide to resolve it. If I'm ever in a conflict that is like really causing me emotional distress, the way Sydney says this is causing her, I would be like, I don't want to hold this resentment anymore. It's not effective. Like we are not going to get anywhere. Like you're not going to see my side. Like say if Sydney genuinely believes and feels the way she does that Maria is a mean girl and she's a bully. Like at some point, you got to just be like, we're not going to see eye to eye. We don't get along. We don't have to be friends, but we're stuck in this environment together. I'm not going to make it my mission to get you to leave. You'll leave if you leave. I'll leave if I leave. I just need to control myself and my emotional reaction and not ruminate on this thing that is causing me emotional distress. Like, I just don't get how Sydney says she's in all this like emotional pain that is translating to physical ailments and she is not then letting it go or you don't even have to let it go just like compartmentalize you know and like i i don't know it just feels like if she was genuinely this upset why wouldn't she let it go or try to resolve it like it feels like she has decided that her resolution the way this would all end for her is maria being gone and it's like There are some things in life that you cannot control. Like instead of trying your hardest to get Maria to leave, just forget about Maria. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's so confusing to me. Back on Lexi's one-on-one, now we're at the night portion. She opens up about how she was always focused on work. She felt pretty ill when she moved to New York and she got diagnosed with stage five endometriosis. She had to have surgery. She might not be able to have biological kids. Her ex broke up with her because of her potential infertility. Joey is really sweet about this. He says in his ITMs that this is not something that he's ever really had to think about or deal with, but he appreciates Lexi opening up. He says to Lexi that it doesn't scare him. There's other ways to start a family and there's so much more to Lexi than just that. She gets the rose. It's a sweet date. 
Joey does a great job of being kind when people open up about things like this and and asking more questions, like uh, genuinely engaging with the stories people are telling, you know, about their lives. He, he does a great job with that. She gets the rose. It's a sweet date. I like Lexi. I have to be honest. I don't really see their connection. I think she's out before hometowns. Like I don't see her getting a hometown, but that's my opinion. And it's nothing about Lexi. I just don't like, I think he likes her. I just think he has stronger connections. And as we move forward, like, I just don't, I don't see it with them, but no, no hate to Lexi. Then we see the group date. Joey is excited to be in the place where some of Game of Thrones was filmed. He's like, this is where someone was beheaded. I don't remember who he said. I've never seen, seen Game of Thrones. And I know it's like, oh my God one of the best shows ever. I really don't think I could handle Game of Thrones. Like I know myself, I don't think I could handle Game of Thrones, which is funny because I wrote in my notes that this was, <laughs> this would be me if I was the lead and we went to the Canadian wilderness where they filmed Yellow Jackets, which like is a gory show in its own right, I guess. I don't really know. I, you know what it is about Game of Thrones? It's not even like Yellow Jackets. Like, yeah, there's gore and there's violence and Yellow Jackets is typically not like I really debated watching it for like months because I kept getting ads and it seemed so intriguing, but I was like, I cannot handle gore and like horror. And I think I, I read like spoilers to be prepared for like what was what gory stuff was going to happen. But I think what really drew me to Yellow Jackets was anyways, not to talk about Yellow Jackets. I've done like a million episodes on Yellow Jackets, but I really I love Yellow Jackets. and I'm not completely opposed, I guess, to gory stuff. Stuff. I am just not a big fantasy person. Like I really get bored when it's like dragons and, and all that kind of stuff. Like I just don't think I would like Game of Thrones because I don't really like that kind of environment, you know, consuming that kind of like, oh, fan like I'm just, I'm not a big fantasy person. Like no hate to Game of Thrones. That being said, if we were in the Canadian wilderness where they filmed Yellow Jackets, I would be so excited. <laughs> that would be me. I'd be like, oh my God, guys, this is where they ate Jackie. This is, sorry if you don't know that they ate Jackie. I mean, in the first episode, you know that Jackie's dead. And like, it's pretty obvious that they eat the people who die. So I don't think it's that big of a spoiler. Anyways, on this date, the women have to pretend to be knights and they compete and the winner will get extra time. First, they stare into Joey's eyes. Then they have to like snatch each other's sashes from the, their sides. There's like a wheel of sausages and they have to try to grab the sausages with their mouth and nothing else. I wrote in my notes, why does The Bachelor hate vegetarians? Like after KFC and then this, it's like, I would be like, I can't do that. I can't even have like a sausage touch my face. I would, I would projectile vomit. And I wouldn't be able to grab it with my mouth because then I have to consume some of it like i don't know but anyways joey joins the sausage wheel competition though very chival chivalrous of him autumn gets the extra time with joey it's fine no hate to autumn she's kind of a non-factor to me like i really like I, I i don't mean to be mean because she seems like a nice entertaining person and i feel like i'd love her on paradise i just we're getting to the point in the season where it's like i know i can tell which women joey has a connection with and so extra time like this when it's not somebody who i'm like that's of note to me it was like okay that happened moving on you know then on the group date night portion we first see one-on-one -on -one time with daisy they talk about baby names he says he likes the name emily she likes the names colette and ocean he talks about having twin girls i love that as a twin girl my name is emmy my full name is emiliana joey grazia day if you want to use the name emiliana it, it goes very well with an italian last name my last name is cardinali emiliana 
Grazia Day works well as well. So if you have a daughter and you want to name her Emiliana, that name is available. My sister's name is Eugenia, but I don't want to speak for her. I don't know how she feels about Joey Grazia Day naming one of his kids Eugenia. So, but my name is Emiliana. It can be shortened to Emily. I mean, nobody I know would. It can be shortened to Emily. I don't really like it being shortened to Emily, but it can also be shortened to Emmy, which is what I go by. So great name if you if you need any suggestions. And it's a very unique name. I've never met another Emiliana in my life. Like I, I'm from Venezuela. Maybe it's a more common name there, but I've never met another Emiliana in my life. So just wanted to throw that out there. For the two people who listen to this, and neither of them are jo- Joey Grazia Day. But you know what? It's funny. Kelsey T is nervous. She's like talking about how she's nervous. She really wants time. Then we see one on one time with Kelsey A. Joey says that she's kind of somebody who he he always looks for in the group of people, which I think is an interesting thing to know. I I think she's going far, in my opinion. I I know no spoilers, so this is all just based off of like my predictions and my reading of how people are doing. You know, if that makes sense. Like I genuinely, I have no spoilers. No idea what happens. So. Then we see brief one-on-one time with Rachel. She's wearing glasses. So he pulls out his. It's a very sweet moment. I love when people wear glasses on this show because I have never worn contacts a day in my life. Like I feel like I would either, if I were to go on The Bachelor, I would either just wear my glasses the entire time or I would just not wear glasses and not be able to see. Like I, and the thing is I'm nearsighted. So I think it could be okay. I just wouldn't be able to read stuff really far away people's faces would be kind of blurry. Like my eyesight isn't so horrible that I would not be able to see anything. Things will just be really blurry and I wouldn't be able to read anything that wasn't like right in front of my face. But I would just want to wear my glasses. I just don't know because I don't think there's ever been a contestant, at least from my recollection, that like consistently wears glasses throughout the season. Like sometimes people wear them, but not typically like all the time. So it's like, I I don't know. That would be like a deal breaker for me. I'd be like, I, I... I don't want to not wear my glasses. I also love my glasses. Like, they, I feel like they fit my face really well. Like, I like how I look with glasses. I think they add, like, a nice style element that I personally really enjoy. I don't know. Anyways, that was unnecessary. Then we see one-on-one time with Kelsey T. She asks what he needs from her so she can be there for him. And he asks the same. He says that he's a simple guy. He really likes quality time. And she says she really likes action. Then at the hotel, we see Lexi Maria and Sydney waiting for the date card it comes it's a two-on-one maria is nervous about how it's going to play out sydney says it won't be fun but she knows she's in the right she says this in her itms not to maria's face not that she would say it to maria's face but then at the group date night portion we see one-on-one time with jess says she feels a connection again this is boring to me because we're not getting any substance like when they have conversations when he has conversations with the women that i don't really feel like he is gonna end up with but we learned something about them okay that's that's still entertaining to me but when we're like this point into the season episode four and you can already tell who he has a real connection with and women you can tell who he has connection with and also women are opening up about their real like life experiences and like hard things they've been through when both those things are the reality then the conversations that are just like i feel a connection it it feels service level i'm not getting to know anything more about jess 
I don't see their connection. It is just boring to me. Then the group date, like the one-on-one sections are over. He he convenes with the group. He gives Kelsey T the date rose. And I was so happy. I really like Kelsey T. Like I feel like I, I felt something there for a while. I don't know. Kelsey T, I like both Kelsey's. I'll be honest. Like, Kelsey, this season, great name. Then we see the two-on-one. They're packing. They, Maria says she's anxious. She says she's not a bully, but she doesn't know what Sydney will pull out and, and say about her. Sydney says she's ready, thinks this needs to happen. Maria is not suitable to be Joey's wife, and that Sydney has a game plan. Again, I think it's interesting to note the difference in how these two women talk about the date. Maria is nervous because she wants to clear her name, but she doesn't know what Sydney Sydney's going to throw out there, you know, because Sydney's accusations have been so extreme and so factually incorrect earlier. And I did put the, I didn't put this in my notes, but when they were talking about like when the group date, the group date card came and Maria and Sydney were left off and it was like, we're going to get a two-on-one. Sydney was like, you verbally attacked me. Like that's what happened. And I just like, I think I have such an issue with Sydney because that is not a factual statement. That is not a factual statement. Maria verbally attacked me. Maybe you felt attacked. What you feel is what you feel. But just because you feel something and those feelings are genuinely how your body and your mind interpreted a situation doesn't mean those are the facts. Like somebody can be what I feel is cold to me. Like they respond really, like, I don't know. Like you can feel genuinely hurt by something and you can feel like that person was mean to me but that doesn't mean that's a factual statement. Just because your feelings are valid doesn't mean that they are factually correct. Like you felt the way you felt and maybe you were genuinely hurt by how Maria conducts herself, but that doesn't mean that factually Maria attacked you. That is not a factual statement. You know, I think there is such a, and I'm all for validating people's feelings, okay? I'm somebody who I, I've dealt with a lot of invalidation. I I invalidate myself constantly. Like I, I get it. I think it's important to validate people's feelings. I also think it's important when you are feeling something to let yourself feel that thing, but then take a moment and look at what actually happened. Especially if you are a sensitive person or you're reacting emotionally, our emotions are not always factual. You know what I mean? Like your feelings are are what you feel, but that doesn't mean that they're the actual facts of the situation. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Like I just, I wish Sydney, and it's just, to me, it, it, it screams like ineffective communicator. Like she needs to learn to communicate more effectively because it's not a constructive way to have a conversation to say you attacked me even if somebody is yelling at you moving on sydney says I, I i even lost what i was saying i guess it's interesting to say the ways that they're talking about the situation situation sydney says she's ready this needs to happen maria is not suitable to be joey's wife it's like if, if that's true then joey will decide that first of all you don't get married at the end of it you get engaged so let's say he did end up with maria which i don't think he's going to because i think this drama unfortunately I think she's she's gonna get a good amount into the season, but I don't think that she's gonna end up with Joey. I also don't think they have the strongest connection, but who knows? Maybe they could have a stronger connection if it wasn't for all the drama. But even if Joey and Maria, I think The Bachelor creates this like crazy environment where because you were competing for the same man's affection, you think that you have like a role to play in whether he should end up with, with somebody. Like at the end of the day, if I was on the show and somebody I didn't like had a stronger 
connection than me, I'd be like, that sucks. But at the end of the day, their connection is their connection. I'm going to work on mine. Like it's so at the end of the day, if if they're not meant to be together, they won't be together. Like I'm not going to meddle in this relationship. It's just so abnormal. And obviously it's a very weird environment because it creates this like illusion. And I'm sure the producers egg it on of like, you have a duty to tell the lead when somebody is not suitable as a partner. And it's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Again, I think there are instances where it's like, okay, this is a fair thing to bring up because the lead doesn't see everything. But it's like when it's just interpersonal drama, no, you actually don't really need to tell Joey this. It's actually not something that that's that pertinent for his decision making. Because Maria isn't terrorizing everybody. You just don't get along with her. Why does Joey need to end up with somebody you get along with? That doesn't make any sense. Anyways, Sydney says spending the day with Maria is like spending the day with the devil. Now, I this is off face, so she could say she could have said the devil thing about somebody else, maybe, or about something else. I don't really know. But that's an interesting thing to note. They're on a boat together. It's super awkward. Back at the hotel, the women talk about the date. Allison is hoping to see Maria come back. Sydney's friends obviously want her to come back. Don't think Maria is his person. Leia says Maria's got more time with him outside the drama than Sydney has, which to me just translates as Maria has a stronger like actually has a connection with Joey that Sydney doesn't so which is just true. Joey says he needs answers. They explore the blue grotto. Maria is making jokes. She's like trying to have a good time and Sydney is in a horrible mood. Like she is just so miserable and again, again, this is what I'm talking about. Like if you're this miserable, it feels like she just wants to and I get it. Sometimes I'm miserable and I'm like being sad is easier but it's like when you're this emotionally affected by a situation do something to rectify it i just think that she's decided the solution and i feel like sydney is really upset about a variety of things and the environment's difficult and she is is putting all of her negative feelings about the environment about probably feeling i'm sure it's it's a really difficult experience to be on a tv show be dating like the same man that like a bunch of other women are dating and comparing yourself to the other women and feeling like you thought you would have even if you didn't think you would have like the best connection with him you thought you would be more of a character you thought like maybe you go on the show and you're like i'm gonna get a good length into it like i'm gonna be a character and then you get to a point and you're like this isn't the experience they thought it would be i don't know like i just think there's so many different situations like factors that could be impacting sydney's mood that then she has decided that it's all because of maria and if maria left she would feel better and it's like not that simple and at that point it's like you don't have control over that learn how to manage your feelings and and emotions without needing somebody else to not be there sometimes unfortunately we exist in environments with people who make us uncomfortable who make us unhappy and and obviously i'm not saying that you should let people treat you poorly but i'm saying at the end of the day if you don't get along with somebody like i I don't know i just it doesn't feel like sydney is doing anything to manage her own feelings beyond maria needs to leave it's like i don't know i don't know (laughs) maria in her itms calls sydney a vampire she's like sucking the life out of her which i feel like is a fair i don't know is it kind of harsh yeah but again sydney doesn't i don't know i genuinely just feel like sydney is going through some other stuff and it's like being project not projected that's not the right word it's being like all funneled into her hatred of maria and it's so unhealthy for for sydney too like this is not a healthy 
Like, I'm not even just saying this because I think she's being mean to Maria. Like, I'm saying this genuinely out of, like, a human... Same with the communication thing. I'm not trying to shit on Sydney. I'm saying that it is a much nicer way to exist in the world, to manage your own feelings, you know? To check the facts of a situation and not let your emotions guide you. To, to be able to be like, I was hurt. But then when you communicate to the person, communicate effectively that, like, this thing you said hurt my feelings not you attacked me that's not like it it is the moments where i have conflict with somebody or i feel hurt by somebody's behavior and we resolve it peacefully make it so much better like it is so nice when you go to somebody and you have like a calm effective conversation about like I was hurt by this and the person replied like you know what I mean communicating effectively and having like nice interpersonal relationships is it really it's great especially if you're a sensitive person and you're hurt by things it really allows you and not always because sometimes you will communicate as effectively as you can and the other person isn't open to receiving it but when you communicate calmly and effectively and the person receives it and you like squash it it can be a way more validating situation than like letting the emotion guide you and be like, I'm so upset and this person wronged me. Like it can be such a more validating experience to be like, I was hurt by this. And the person can be like, I'm so sorry. And that's it. You know, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it's just like, it's genuinely, it's driving me crazy because I'm like, this is not healthy for Sydney either. Anyways, Joey and Sydney talk first. She says that the week has been very tough for her. Joey says he wants everybody to feel comfortable. He's like, I'm not expecting you to all be friends, but I just want it to be a good environment for everybody. Sydney then says that after Joey left the pool party, hell broke loose. Maria attacked her in front of the group. Maria told Leah to shut the fuck up. Sydney says Maria is a common denominator in every situation in the house, which first of all is factually incorrect because there was a situation on the first night with Jess stealing time. So... Already, the every situation, factually incorrect, not the reality. Like, I don't know. It's just, again, not an effective way to communicate. Joey's trying to be like, you guys don't have to get along, but I just want it to be a good environment. And again, again, Sydney's mission is to get Marie out. That's her goal. It's not to squash the beef. It's not to resolve the conflict. It's not even, I don't think, to feel better and to have her feelings validated and to feel like, yes, you are in the right for for being hurt by Maria. She is attacking you. She is bullying you. Like the validation I think would come for her if Maria got sent home. And to me, that is so unhealthy. That is such an, like, un, yeah, unhealthy <laughs> way to exist in the world. The solution shouldn't be Maria's gone so you feel better. The solution should be regulating your own emotions managing your own feelings it's driving me crazy then joey and maria talk and maria says that she left all this stuff in la like long before joey even brought it up and again i just want to bring up the contrast because maria is trying to move forward she's not like maria could very easily be like if it was a tit for tat and sydney was like oh you already heard all the other stuff and it hasn't convinced you well she told leah to shut the fuck up it feels like every time she just needs to bring something up to get she just keeps bringing more things and it's nothing (laughs) again it's like in my opinion it's nothing that crazy it's nothing that damning it's wild to me i don't know it's it, confusing like i'm baffled i'm baffled by it just feels like sydney needs to bring something up like another thing that maria did to wrong her to prove that maria is not a good person it's like 
why? Why do you need to prove that Maria is not a good person? Do you genuinely, like, do you genuinely think she's not a good person? And if you don't think she's a good person, I just don't understand how you exist in your day-to-day life. That sounds really harsh, but it's just, I try very hard to not think people are good or bad based on their behavior and how they treat me. Like, I try not to make statements about people's character. I try to be like, this action they did hurt me. You know, that's how I try to exist in my life. And it just feels like Sydney has decided Maria is not a good person and she needs to prove to Joey that Maria is not a good person. And it's like so unhealthy. And, and I don't know, it's wild to me. It's genuinely baffling. Like, do you genuinely think Marie is not a good person? And if you do, then what is your definition of a good person? Because I feel like if I was having this conflict with Maria, I would just be like, we don't get along. We don't get along. We're not gonna be friends. We're not compatible. I think, and I tweeted something because somebody tweeted like, do I think that Sydney, let me, let me pull up the tweet. And I'm not trying to blast this person. Somebody tweeted something that like, do I think Sydney is threatened by Maria? yes do I think there's something we're not seeing also yes and I took issue with that because yes there is something we can't be seeing but I also think that sometimes people are just mean to other people sometimes people don't like people and there's no good reason for it they just don't like them and they decide that because they don't like them they're not a good person so that means that they have to like you know what i mean there is a possibility that there's something we're not seeing but i also just don't like this idea that maria had to have done something to elicit this reaction sometimes people are just mean sometimes people don't like you because you're not the kind of person that they vibe with and that's okay, people don't have to like you. But they take it one step further and they decide because they don't like you, you're a bad person. And that is what is happening in my opinion. Like I think Sydney doesn't like Maria. She doesn't like the way she communicates. She thinks she's like harsh. She thinks she's whatever. And because Maria doesn't exist and function and the way that Sydney does and the people that Sydney surrounds herself with because she's different than, than Sydney she has decided that that means she's bad I, I think she doesn't want to just be like I don't like you and that's okay she has to decide because like I feel like Sydney has an issue with just being like I don't like you because we're not compatible we don't get along we're very different like I, I wish she could just say that and maybe if you're combat it maybe if she's compatible with Joey then you're not compatible with Joey and that's okay not everybody's compatible Not everybody has to get along with everybody. That doesn't mean that the other person is a bad person. Live and let live. I don't even know what I was, I just genuinely feel like Sydney doesn't like Maria and she then thinks that means that Maria is a bad person. There are plenty of people in the world that I don't like. Do I think they're bad people? No. Bad and good is such a like complicated way to define people. Like I, I don't define people as good or bad, you know? This is just driving me crazy. Like I, I feel like I'm going crazy. Joey and Maria are talking. She says she left the stuff in LA. She says this has been hard because she's upset that she even has to be on this two-on-one. She didn't want to come here today to do this, but she came because she wanted to spend time with Joey. Joey brings up the shut the fuck up comment. Maria says she didn't say that. That's vulgar. And again, it's like, I know Maria can't say this, but maybe she doesn't want to because she's trying to defend herself. But if this was me and Joey was like, you told Leia to shut the fuck up, I'd be like, I didn't. But like, if I did, why is this an issue? That's my issue with her. This doesn't have to concern you is what I'd say. I'd be like, look, Joey, I'm sorry. 
that you're having to deal with this. I'm sorry that I'm having to deal with this. Like sometimes people don't get along. I'm having interpersonal drama with some women and they've decided because they don't like me and because we're having conflict that I'm a bad person and I don't deserve you. And I just don't think that that's like an effective, like that's, that's stupid. It's stupid. In my opinion, it's stupid that because these girls don't like me, they decide that Joey can't like me is what it feels like. Like Joey can't like her. She's the worst. She sucks. What the hell are we talking about? What world are we existing in? I feel like I'm going crazy. He says he's not expecting everybody to be friends. Oh, this is when he says that. He didn't say that with Sydney. He said he's not expecting everybody to be friends. He just wants a comfortable environment and to put it behind them. She asks if this is something he can look past. And he says he doesn't know, but he wants to try. Maria's obviously upset. She's like over this whole situation. Then we see Sydney and Maria talk. Maria says that Sydney has fed Joey some BS. She never said to shut the fuck up. Then she asks Sydney if she knows that they're on camera this entire time. Sydney says Maria hasn't taken accountability. Maria says she hasn't had problems with anybody else. Asks Sydney why she's doing this to her. And Sydney says, you're doing this to me and to everybody in the house. And again, it's just like, that is, that's what, what world are we existing in? I feel like I'm going crazy watching this. Like, what do you mean? If somebody comes to you and says, you know who does this? And I don't mean to equate the two, but Tom Sandoval does this. Somebody will be like, you're doing this to me or you did this to me. He's like, well, you did it to me first. You did you did it to me, but worse. And it's just like, what are we talking about? You know what it is, is I, I'm a very sensitive, emotional person who has throughout a, a good amount of her life been a very ineffective communicator, been a very dysregulated person to be around. I don't know if I was ever to this level, but I have had instances and I've put in the work to be a good communicator, to not speak as if my feelings are facts, to not be like you're attacking me because I feel hurt by something, you know? I've worked very hard to to learn how to communicate effectively and not even for other people, but just for myself. It is so unhealthy that every time you're hurt to feel like the other person is like an aggressor and attacking you. It's not... Because then you start to feel like the entire world is your enemy. And the reality is people hurt you sometimes. A lot of times it's not on purpose. Sometimes it's on purpose and then that's a whole other conversation. But people hurt you in your day-to-day life. They say things that upset you. They say things that trigger you. They say things in a way that you didn't receive well. But that doesn't mean that they're bad people and it doesn't mean that they're trying to hurt you or that they're attacking you or that they're an aggressor or an abuser or a manipulator. Like it doesn't mean any of these things. It just means that as humans, we don't always communicate effectively. And I feel like I've just worked so hard to not view the world in this black and white, good, bad way that Maria, that Sydney is talking about Maria. You know how many people I would call the devil? Not many people in life. (laughs) Not many people I would be like, they're the devil because I don't think it's an effective way to deal with people. I feel like it's upsetting me because I've worked so hard to not think this way. And it's just like genuinely, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. I feel like I'm not making much sense because it's like genuinely triggering a part of me, but we move forward. I gotta keep moving on. (laughs) Then Joey says he's unsure what to do. He's hoping for clarity on the night portion. Then on the night portion, Maria says that she doesn't want to be doing this with Sydney who thinks she's the devil. Sydney says she's happy with how the conversation went because she did everything she needed to do and she thinks Joey's smart and a good judge of character and will make the right decision. Again, two different conversations that they are having. Joey feels like he's gotten nowhere. So 
tonight is about deciding which connection is stronger and not really like who's right in the situation then at the little night portion like table he asks the women he's like i have one more question do you have a, do you see a potential future with me sydney answers first and says she does and the reason she's been speaking her truth and putting herself in these conversations is because she sees the potential she's fighting for him showing what kind of partner she'd be and i wrote in my notes a partner who starts conflict like if i was joey i would be like i and obviously he's not seeing everything we're seeing but to me this would be like that is not somebody i want to be in a relationship with somebody who is so emotionally like such a poor communicator people always say the most important thing in relationships is communication and i agree and you know why I think it's one of the most important, like the most important thing in relationships. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships, just like your day-to-day life is because we are imperfect. We are humans, especially if you're sensitive, you're going to be hurt by situations and you're going to need to be able to communicate, hey, this thing you did hurt me. So your partner or whoever you're in a relationship with can like receive that information, validate and and maybe learn how to learn how to communicate with you in a way that isn't hurtful to you. And I, I think they, they just a big reason they're having this conflict is because they don't communicate the same way. They don't communicate the same way and i think the way sydney is communicating her hurt is not translating to maria because it is so not grounded in actual facts of the situation you know i feel like if sydney was to say this thing you said to me hurt me maria would be able to digest that more but it, how do you react to somebody who just says you verbally attacked me that's what happened no it's it's not what happened to me this like it, it what it's telling me about who sydney would be as a partner is that she is not an effective communicator and if i hurt her feelings it would become i'm a bully i'm attacking her it would be a, a, a moral judgment because of how I acted instead of being like hey this thing you did hurt my feelings or the way you said this hurt my feelings or I'm really sensitive right now like you know what I mean I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with somebody who if I say something incorrectly I'm a bully I'm attacking them I'm a bad person she has decided that Sydney is a bad person who doesn't deserve Joey and doesn't deserve to be here because they had some conflict I don't I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with somebody like that. Anyways, then Maria answers and she says that when she first came here, it was an immediate yes. But honestly, now she has some unanswered questions because of this craziness, but she hopes that they can build moving forward. Again, like a real, like I, I like that answer because Maria's like, yeah, but also this has been really hard. And like, I, I have questions. Joey gives Maria the rose. He like does a fake out where he's like, Sydney, I cannot give you this rose. It was kind of funny. Then Sydney in her ITMs says, Joey like walks her out Sydney in her ITM says she doesn't think he knows the real Maria because she sucks. And what do you mean by that? Do you know the real Maria? You don't know the real Maria. You know Maria in the context of this show. You don't know Maria. Like, what do you mean he doesn't know the real Maria? Unless Maria was your, like, life, like, you knew her for a long time. You don't know Maria either. What do you mean he doesn't know the real Maria? Do you know the real Maria? It's so extreme. It's so, she did something I don't like or communicated, or even I don't like her, so she's a bad person. He doesn't know the real her. She's not a bad person. You're just, you don't get along. That's okay. Then Maria and Joey kiss and dance, and it's a happy end. Ending. We see a man take Sydney's suitcase away. The women react to that, obviously. Then the women are getting ready for the cocktail party and the rose ceremony. Joey gives a little speech like he always does. First, we see at the cocktail party, first we see one-on-one time with Jen. They joke about, they joke with each other about their feet because 
because they're they're like putting their feet in the water. She lets him know how she felt on their surf day. It's cute. I, I like them. I see the chemistry there. I love Jen and not just because she fosters kittens. Then we see brief one-on-one -on -one time with Edwina and Caitlin. Not much happens. Just brief time. Then we see one-on-one -on -one time with Medina. She gives Joey a present. She talks about how the capital, there's a city named Medina and it's the capital, I think, of Spain. Maybe not Spain. Maybe it's the capital of Malta. I don't know if Malta is its own country. I'm, I feel like an idiot. For some reason, I was like, Malta's in Spain, but I don't think Malta's in Spain. Okay, well, the capital of Malta is not Medina. So, okay, so Malta is not part of Spain or Italy. So I don't know what the capital of I don't know what she was saying about Medina. What is it the capital of? Anyways, there's a, there's, a, there's a city named Medina. I think she gives him a map. This is really not that important. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't want to sound uneducated. She says Medina means closed in by walls. She says that that's pertinent to her because she's been having a hard time opening up. She shares about her parents' divorce. They do a little trust fall. It's a nice moment. It's a nice moment where, again, what I was saying about Jess earlier or even Autumn, like I find it boring when all they say is like, I feel a connection with you. This, we learned a little bit more about Medina. Do I think they have a connection? Do I think that she's, you know, gonna get far? No. And not just because she went home this, like on Tuesday's episode, just because I, I don't see it. I haven't seen their connection, but I'm learning more about Medina. So I like it. I appreciate what I'm getting, you know? Then Leia is upset that nobody cares that Sydney went home and that they're being nice to Maria. She says if she was Sydney, she'd be disappointed. Medina and Maria talk kindly. Like she's like, oh, you look so cute. Like I want to hear about your date. Like she's being nicer. Then Leia pulls Medina for her chat and it cuts to commercial. So we don't see this chat right away. Then when it comes back, we see one-on-one -on -one time with Kelsey A. Says that when she travels, she gets a postcard, but she couldn't. So she made one. It has like stuff from Malta and it also has butterflies, which I noted because that comes up in episode five. Not about the postcard specifically, but she says, why? he says why are there butterflies and she says because you give me butterflies but i think it's probably also about her mother which she talks about in episode five which i'll get to but i just wanted to note that then leia and medina talk she's frustrated about how medina has been navigating everything says that she switched up she was like sydney's best friend and now she switched up medina says leia doesn't have to understand how she's doing things she doesn't understand how everybody else is doing things but she's not going to go up to them and be like why are you doing it this way she's hard enough on herself as is she doesn't need leia telling her what to do then we see the women talk about what they think the conversation between Leia and Medina is. Rachel says, like, Rachel knows what the conversation, she's like, I think that Leia's upset about how Medina was talking to you, even though she was just Sydney's best friend. Like, she knows the conversation. So this to me says that Leia's been complaining about this. Like, Leia is annoyed. She's so annoyed that she is going around talking to other people about how dare Medina be nice to Maria. Is this not shit talking? Like Maria saying to somebody, uh, I like Medina says she's old, but like she's not old. That's not something to be insecure about. That's shit talking. That prompted this entire thing. But Leia is allowed to complain about her friend Medina being nice to a girl that Sydney didn't like. And that's not shit talking. Rachel knew verbatim what Medina was going to, what Leia was going to say to Medina, which means that that she was complaining about it. I'm like so angry about this. Sorry. Oh, I need to calm. I need to calm down. 
I really, I have to say, I've, I've gotten genuinely triggered by this entire situation because of the black and white thinking, because of the good and like because of the, the, the moral judgments that people are placing on Maria. I've gotten really like mad because of the whole calling things bullying when it's not bullying. Like I, this has been a genuinely, like I can recognize that I am having an emotional reaction to this because of my own experiences. I just genuinely like it. I'm angry. I'm angry about this whole thing. We just need to think back to how this whole, this whole thing started. And I've said it before, but like Leia, let's say Leia genuinely felt like Maria was shit talking her friend. She brought it to her friend and her friend squashed that beef. Why is Leia still carrying this torch? Like, why are you still mad on behalf of your friend who doesn't care anymore? Maybe if your friend still cared, but they were like a bigger person than you and they're like, I don't want to hold resentment, but like, yeah, that hurt my feelings. Okay, maybe. Because there are people who like have hurt my sister and like maybe she is a very like she wouldn't hold on resentment I don't know but I'm still gonna hate them forever but I wouldn't actively be mean to that person or be mad that somebody is like being nice to them because you know what I would be nice to them I wouldn't really I mean I wouldn't be like super nice to them but I I mean I, I would I, I'm not gonna be mean to somebody because I don't like them like that is stooping to their level if you genuinely think that Marie is a mean girl why are you then gonna be mean in retaliation then everybody's just mean and we're on like a, a cycle of, of people being mean to each other. For what reason? What is the reason? Like, it's just, it baffles me. Oh God, it, it, it bothers me. It bothers me. It bothers me. Then we see the rest of Leia's conversation with Medina. And she says she holds herself and her friends to a high value. She has different morals. And again, this is just, this, this bothers me. This really bothers me because again, it's like, what is your moral standard that your friend's have to be mean to somebody because you don't like them. I don't want friends like that. I don't want friends like that. Just because I don't like somebody and they hurt me. I mean, obviously it's to the degrees that they hurt me. There are some people in my life who have caused me like genuine pain that it would just genuinely be triggering to me if somebody I cared about was like friends with them because it's like a, you know, I would just be like, you. I'm not going to control your friendships. I just can't really be like what Ariana from Vanderpump Rules says. She's like, I don't want to be friends with people who are friends with him. That is how I feel about certain people, but not somebody. You, you know what it like gives to me? And I don't want to like make these statements about people because I don't know. But people who act like this, it really feels like to me that they've like never been bullied or ostracized or like othered in their life. And, and, and maybe not ever, but maybe like because people have been genuinely like horrible to me, like said really mean things when I was growing up, when I was like, people have said really, really mean things to me. I, if this happened to me and the whole reason this started was because somebody said I wasn't old or even if they told me to shut the fuck up, like maybe it's just because I've genuinely been like deeply hurt by things people have said and pe things people have done. But this just wouldn't be like, this wouldn't reach the level of like, I need to tattle to the lead. I need to like shun this person i mean i don't believe in shunning people in general like be cordial be nice like it's fine like we're in this environment why would i like but it's this is such a non and again maybe there's something horrendous that we haven't seen but even sydney's examples like the things that sydney is taking an issue with that to me wouldn't rise to this level of like you can't talk to this person you can't be nice to them like there are levels to things and it wouldn't even be like somebody that i was friends with talked to somebody who really hurt me there's like one person in particular I'm thinking of but like I'm that's neither here nor there it would genuinely hurt my feelings like a lot if they were friends with that person but like I went to college with this person say somebody was in a class with them 
right? This environment, they're forced to be together. They talk to the person. They're nice to this person. They're cordial with this person. They're, I wouldn't care. We're, we're in college together. We, we're in a small community. I went to a small college. I wouldn't be like, you need to shun this person because I don't want them in my life. That is just not, I wouldn't want somebody who I'm really close friends with being friends with them because then there is a potential of us running into each other and there being like overlap. And you know what I mean? Those are like firm boundaries that I understand, but it's just like, you're in this environment where you have to coexist. Why do you want them to just like, to me, that is bullying. That is bullying. I don't like this person. So you can't even talk to them. You can't even be nice to them. Like she's not besties with her now. She's just like, oh, your dress is pretty. I want to hear about your date because we live in this environment. Mind you, the original thing that started with this was that she was allegedly shit talking Medina. So if Medina is willing to move past it and be cordial and be nice and coexist and like it's not bothering her anymore, then why are you still mad? Like it just, it genuinely, it genuinely makes me angry. Like I'm genuinely angry about this whole situation because I just don't get it. I don't get it. I really, I don't understand. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. My head hurts from this whole situation. And it's genuinely upsetting me. And I like don't like feeling upset about this. But you know what's nice is that I have this podcast where I can talk through this and then I'll edit it, I'll record it. And next week will come and I'm not gonna care about this anymore. Like it's not gonna eat me alive because I've, I've been able to like talk about how I feel about the situation. But it was genuinely upsetting me. And I know it was upsetting me because I was projecting my own personal relationships onto these strangers and in like this really like conflict that has nothing to do with me personally but I think as a consumer I am obviously I'm not like a personal part of it but when you consume stuff and it upsets you I and I also just think these are important conversations to have about communicative communicating effectively about being okay with not liking people about not villainizing people and, and vilifying people and excluding people just because you don't like them about not in your group of friends like if the moral standard that Leia holds her friends to are if I don't like somebody they have to be dead to you and and that's it. I don't function that way. I don't think it's an effective way to function when you're in an environment where you have to all be together. Like the reality is Maria is still here. Why do you want Medina to be a bitch to her? And how does that not make you a bully? If that is the moral standard that you hold your friends to, then yeah, we have different morals. <laughs> because in my sense of morality, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, people have whatever. It's just not compatible. But in my personal, and I'm not speaking for Maria, my personal need, Emmy Awards, Emmy Cardinale, sense of morality. <laughs> is that people are not, I, I don't think in these black and white extremes of like, this person was mean to me, so you can never be nice to them. Again, there are levels because there are people in my life who I don't want to be around and I wouldn't want somebody who's really close to me to be around them. And there are people who I know have hurt really close friends of mine or my sister and I wouldn't be friends with them because they hurt my, when I see them, I'm not going to spit in their face or be mean or just like, I, I don't engage. Because, because there are people who hurt your friends or or your or people you care about in very serious ways that to me I'm not going to be nice to them because yeah I don't I don't like them because of how they treated somebody I care about again it goes back to what I was saying about it just feels like they've never really dealt with like nastiness from people like true vitriol true harm done by other people because if this 
warrants or or they just have such exclusive high like standards that somebody's mean to you once they're dead to you that is such an unhealthy way to live people i love dearly in my life have hurt me have caused me real pain people who i love dearly i know i've caused them pain and it wasn't on purpose it was because i was dysregulated and going through my own hard times i know i caused a lot of pain in the moments where i was the most traumatized the most unhealthy dysregulated i know that and i know that it wasn't out of malice i know that i was going through my own shit i know all of those things but i also know that that pain that i caused those people is real and i'm not going to ever say that i haven't caused harm to people i care about i just don't think that somebody hurt me once so i can never have a relationship with them it, maybe i just don't like them and i don't want to be friends with them that's fine but it's just like yeah i guess if, if those are the somebody you hurt your friend once so you never want to be like you're going to be mean to them and you're going to shun them like yeah you have different morals than me that that is i i don't want to go into i don't know these people personally it just it it doesn't compute for me it's very confusing it doesn't make sense to me because people hurt you sometimes that doesn't mean you cut them out of your life forever oh god i don't know i don't know i don't even know if i'm making sense and i lost the place in my notes then leia tells jess and rachel that her friends back home would go to war for each other and clearly medina is not one of those people and again it's just like i i do have like again i have standards that i hold myself to that there are people that i would never be friends with or associate with because of how they hurt people i care about that i that that i understand but i wouldn't go to war for somebody because they were hurt once i'd be like i'd validate their feelings i would like be there for them i would you know if, if somebody's hurt by a situation they have i listen to them i validate their feelings i'm there to be a place for them to land but then i don't go and attack the person i don't make it my problem i, I don't go to war for people because you know what that then you're starting a war I don't believe in starting wars. I don't believe in starting wars. The opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. That's just the fact of the matter. If I don't like somebody, they're just not gonna exist in my world. I don't want anything to do with them. I'm not gonna go to war because war has casualties. And again, there are some instances where I'm like, okay, maybe you'd go to war. If you really need to stand up for your friend, there's like levels, but it's like, you're gonna go to war for this. The men start wars yet Troy hits <laughs> Italian. I'm kidding. I just said war so many times that that lyric was in my head. Leia says she can't be fake. She doesn't want to be fake. And that Sydney inserted herself into this for Medina. And like, no, she did it for herself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you know what? If, if she did, I'm glad she brought that up actually, because if, if Sydney inserted herself in this for Medina, then why is Medina squashing this? Not enough for you to end it. Because at that point, it's not about Medina. Now Medina's a, a scapegoat and it's her fault that, that Sydney went home because she was trying to defend Sid, uh, Medina. Well, Medina squashed it, so why didn't you? Leia says Maria doesn't give a shit about any of them, but wanting to use their curling, iron, curling irons. Is this not shit talking? Like, it's not that big of a deal in terms of shit talking. But anyways, Maria checks on Medina. Medina says that they're at her for being nice to Maria and that Leia said that Medina is the reason Sydney went home. And it's like, no, it's because Sydney was unable to squash the beef, to regulate her own emotions and not make it Joey's problem. She made it Joey's problem, which therefore made it a problem for Joey and he had to send one of you home and he sent you home because he didn't like you as much as he liked Maria. You made it a problem. You made it a problem. Maria feels like she can't win, gets upset and leaves, like goes off crying. Leia calls Maria a crybaby. Then we see Leia talk to Joey, says, a lot of them were shocked about Maria staying because of how Maria has treated some of them, but she trusts his intuition and knows he's smart. Meanwhile, Maria is upset and the episode is left on a cliffhanger of whether Maria will stay or go. Okay, so episode five. I do just want to say that I took like an eight hour break 
not on purpose i just like i recorded that section before work and i'm recording this after work so if the audio sounds a little different the microphone might not be in the exact same place but we just gotta keep moving forward you know i do have a job (laughs) this is just a hobby so anyways episode five opens with maria crying because she wants to go home i think it's interesting they didn't do a cold open for this episode it just opens up where we left off i don't know why i thought that was interesting i wonder in the editing like the post-production because i imagine the two episodes like there there this was really the only continuation like there wasn't necessarily like a two-part episode so i find it interesting like i don't know i'm just curious about the post-production of like if they knew that these two episodes were going to be back to back in the editing and when they knew that like I, I don't know that makes no sense and it's probably not that interesting to anybody else but the episode opens with maria crying saying she wants to go home kelsey a says that the mood of the cocktail party is like really serious the drama has just gotten everybody down but anyways then we see the rest of leia's conversation with joey and she's saying she hopes this week can be a fresh start, even if Maria is still there. Then we see Medina comfort Maria. Let us not forget that Medina was the one who was originally wronged, if you can even say that. You know, she was the one who was invalidated, It, which is where this whole thing started. Was that, and Medina's fine with Maria, to the point where Medina's comforting Maria. And earlier, when Medina's friends were mad at her for being nice to Maria, Maria comforted her. So it's like, who is the problem here? Because I just don't think that it's Maria. But anyways, then the rose ceremony for the Malta week. These, this is how they're presented in order. They go to Kelsey A, Caitlin, Daisy, Rachel, Jen, Autumn, Jess, Medina, and Leia gets the last rose. Going home are Edwina and Allison. Huge loss. Huge loss for me, especially on the Edwina front. Allison just kind of was a non-factor. I really feel like if her sister hadn't been here, I would have kind of forgotten about her. No hate to Allison. Like, she seems nice. She was very nice to Maria. But there was just not much between her and Joey, I guess. Edwina's a big loss for me, though, because even though I didn't think there was that much between her and Joey, she was like an interesting character to me, which is kind of like what I was saying before. I just repeat myself a million times, but it's like, I don't need, I know that only so many of the women have a good relationship with Joey. We also need like side characters who provide. Some of these characters don't provide, they're giving me nothing, you know, on top of not having a connection with Joey. So it's like, why are they there? Like Autumn, like what is Autumn giving me? Literally nothing, no hate. Their, the next stop on their international journey <laughs> is Andalusia, Spain. The women, they get to Andalusia, Spain, they walk around, they see the sights, they yell Joey off a building. It's the standard, we're in a new place, bachelor montage. Rachel in her ITM says she's always wanted to go to Spain with her boyfriend. Joey in his ITMs says that he's looking forward to the romance of Spain. The women cheers with sangria and Leia says that she's pained. This is in her ITM. She says that she's pained by Maria still being there. Maria in her ITM says she's feeling good and refreshed and is going to keep doing her since that's what matters for her and Joey is focusing on herself. Kelsey A says in her ITMs that her grandmother's from here and she's never been. So she's excited to be in Spain. Then Joey joins the women and takes Kelsey A on the one-on-one. And they ride off in a Vespa. It's very cute. Joey, Maria then asks the women 
if anyone like would have had Leia's card, like if she if Leia had given it to somebody else and they had taken it, like would they have used it on the Vespa moment? Which is an interesting que question. Like it's not that serious. It's just like an idea. And Leia basically is like says that she's glad about her decision. She wouldn't want to cheat for her moment. All valid points. All valid points. Like I don't know. I I've I've gone back and forth on how I feel about whether I would use the card or not. Like, I, I think, honestly, I wouldn't fault anybody for whatever route they took, I guess. I mean, stealing somebody's one-on-one -on -one is kind of harsh, but it's also just like, I don't, like, I don't know. I'd keep it just in case, but that's just me. Like, I don't know. Because I think burning the card is a nice symbol or whatever, but it gets the producers against you, where if you were to be like, wow, this is really intense. I don't know what I'm gonna do yet, but you keep the card, maybe the producers won't hit you off the bat because the suspense of the card, even if it's never used, is still looming throughout the whole season, which is probably what they wanted. You know, like I think Leia, and I'm not saying that her behavior and the things she said didn't happen the way they did, but I think the editing can make a world of a difference. And I do think that they are unfortunately with certain moments that are like not necessary, necessary to the plot or the conflict. They are like just adding fuel to the fire of people not liking Leia. And I really think that if she hadn't done that, the producers wouldn't hate her as much and maybe she'd be getting a better edit. I don't know. Like, I just, I, I think, like, she, she, she went all the way and said, no, I would have, I would have played the middle. I would have been like, this is really intense and I don't know how I'm, I'm going to feel about this, but like, I also would love to have a one-on-one, -on -one, so I'm going to keep it just to see what could happen because they never know what could happen. Like, you're telling me Leia in this moment, if Maria had gotten, like, if Maria gets a one-on-one, -on -one, you don't think Leia would, would be happy to steal the one-on-one -on -one from Maria now that she hates Maria? Like, I don't really know. Like, I just think I would have kept it because that way you don't get the producers to hate you. But if you never use it, then can the girls really hate you? No, if anything, they fear you and they're nice to you. If they, like, I, I think she should have just, if she, like, burning it was a mistake. The sentiment was nice. But anyways, I always go on a million unnecessary tangents. Then Leia in her ITM says that she doesn't know why Maria is still here. If she was ready to leave after a little conflict, is she really here for Joey? Somebody could then say to you, Leia, if you were willing to burn the card because you didn't want to step on any toes, are you really here for Joey? I don't know. Like there's always some argument to be had of like, oh, you're not here for Joey. Like we can go back and forth all day, Leia. I could argue that Sydney's goal and mission being to get Maria out because Maria being there was unpleasant for her. For me, I could argue that that is not her being there for Joey. I would argue that that is taking away Joey's autonomy. No, not entirely, obviously he still has free will, but it's like the whole, the reason Leia said she didn't want to use the card was because she didn't want to take agency away from Joey. Sydney's mission to slander Maria and vilify Maria to get her out because Maria being there is uncomfortable for her personally how is that not taking agency away from Joey? You're basically deciding that Maria is not good enough to be his wife because you don't like her and you're forcing, like you're pushing and pushing and pushing for her to go home. Is that not like taking away somebody's agency? Is that not impeding with somebody's own personal emotional journey? 
because you don't like somebody, but that's your best friend who did it. Like, it's just all so hypocritical to me. Anyways, oh God, moving on. Kelsey T is sad about not getting the one-on-one. I feel like this is like Kelsey T's main through line is she always wishes she had more time with Joey because she feels something. And I like Kelsey T genuinely. Like, I wish she got more time too. I find her really endearing. I like Kelsey T. Then on Kelsey A's one-on-one, they kind of just walk around, eat some food, play soccer. It's a typical scene of the site's date. Kelsey's excited. She and Joey have chemistry. Someone asks if they're married. As always, this man speaks Spanish. Neither of them speak Spanish. And I'm always, I don't, I don't know about like the statistics and stuff. And obviously like Latinos are a very wide range of people, but, and not every Latino speaks Spanish, but I always like as a Latina, when they go to these Spanish-speaking countries, I'm like, God, I wish I was there. <laughs> I wish I was on this tape because I could actually understand what this man is saying. And they go to a lot of places, but I feel like Spanish is a language that a lot of people speak in America. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like of all the languages, of all the places that they would travel, like they're probably most statistically, it's probably most likely that somebody on the cast would speak Spanish. I feel like they never speak Spanish when they, I don't know. This man is saying, like, he's trying to say that like, the fountain is magic and they'll be happy, happy, happy. And they don't understand a word he's saying, but I'm putting a pin in this idea of the fountain being magic in case, Kelsey ends up with him because I'm like, oh my God, a sign, you know? (laughs) Anyways, how many Latinas are there typically on? And I I know again, it's like, but I just feel like, or maybe even not Latinas necessarily, but just people who speak Spanish. In paradise, I feel like there's like rarely somebody who speaks Spanish and they're in Mexico. I'm like, get the Latinas. To the Bachelor franchise. But anyways, moving on. Kelsey T is struggling a bit because she feels something with Joey, but she hasn't gotten much time. Then, and she says this in the like hotel or wherever they're staying. Then back on Kelsey A's one-on-one, she says that she's not like falling yet, but she's tripping. Really innovative way to talk about the love levels as Game of Roses talks about like the different love levels. I like you, I'm falling in love, I'm in love, all of that stuff. Tripping is an interesting love level. And he said that he says that he's known she's somebody he could ease into, which is an interesting way to phrase it. Like, I feel like he feels comfortable with her. Like there's an ease, there's a familiarity. I see their connection. I'm rooting for them. I don't know. Like, I think she's final two at least, but I'll get to my predictions at the end because I actually have predictions this week. Last week, I was like, I don't know. This week I have solid predictions. So on the one-on-one night portion, Kelsey A opens up about her mom. She says that her parents met in the military. Then when she was born, her mom left the army. She was very caring and positive. And 10 years ago, she got diagnosed with breast cancer and it like metastasized They gave her six months and she passed away within two months. And whenever she sees butterflies, it's like her mom's there. And she says that like right before she left to come on the show, she saw butterflies in the middle of New New Orleans. And I like genuinely, I, I, I tear, I think I cried actually when I was watching this. I'm tearing up now thinking about it. I don't know. And the fact that she put butterflies on the postcard that she made in episode four really stood out to me when I was rewatching the episodes to take notes because I was like, I wonder if she put that there like hoping that she could maybe say something, but then she didn't feel ready 
but then on the one-on-one she did like i don't know it was an interesting thing the significance of butterflies to her for her to then put them on the card like you know it, it, it i feel like it made that postcard that much more meaningful it was all just really sweet he's like he's so nice he says that the the traits that he, that she's describing of her mom he sees in her she gets the rose it's all really sweet i am like a puddle on the floor because it really hit me hard back at the hotel a date card comes kelsey hopes that it's for her it's a group date and going on the group date are lexi daisy jen autumn maria caitlin medina leia jess and kelsey t which means Rachel is going on the second one-on-one, which is super exciting for her. Um, and the producers are like really nasty for putting Kelsey T last on the date card. Like you got her hopes up. Anyways, on the group date, it's like a painting date. The women have to write one sentence to describe your feelings for Joey and then turn it into a painting. I'm not gonna go through everybody's paintings because I they're not that interesting to me, but my favorites were Jen's. I really liked Jen's. I thought it was well done. I liked Kelsey T's a lot. I liked Caitlyn's. Caitlyn's seemed like it was really good quality, but most of them were good. And the, the person who wins gets like extra time with Joey. The person who won had one of the worst paintings, I'm sorry. Like not only, like execution-wise it was fine. Like it, she drew two di- she drew a diamond ring and then like another ring and it was to symbolize the rings that she hopes to get at the end of this journey. And it's like, not only was it like, I'm not hitting on her painting ability because I don't think that was the point of the date. But like, if it was about painting ability, it wasn't the best one. And if it was about meaning, it wasn't the best one because it was so, superficial and joey is so so good as a bachelor of like of like saying things in his itms that like i don't really know if he feels that way it's like he's like jess won because she's thinking about the end of this (laughs) like i i really i think he's he like the producers are like we want you to pick jess and he's like okay like i'll take you know what i mean because I really don't believe that he meant that. Or like when on the two-on-one, when Sydney tells him that Maria told Leia to shut the fuck up, he, he says in his ITMs, you know, <laughs> Sydney says that Maria told Leia to shut the fuck up and that's something to know or something. Like he says things and I'm like, they're making you say this, Joey. Like you don't feel this way. I mean, maybe he does, but it's so unserious. So Jess gets more time. It's really uneventful. They do that really annoying typical bachelor thing where they roll around and paint on like a big canvas and it's always ugly. But anyways, on the night portion of the group date, we see one-on-one time with Jen first. She says that it's been harder this week than past weeks. Her feelings are growing. It's only gonna get harder. Again, I love Jen. I think they have chemistry. Then there's one-on-one time with Kelsey T. She shares, she struggled with the Vespa date because she's starting to feel things. Then we see glimpses of one-on-one time with Caitlin and Lexi. Then at the hotel, Rachel gets her date card and it says, bailamos mi amor. So she's excited. I will say Rachel, I don't know if she speaks Spanish, but she did say bailamos mi amor really well. So maybe she does speak Spanish and I'm slandering the ladies of Bachelor Nation for not speaking Spanish. Back on the group date night portion, we see one-on-one time with Maria. She opens about her childhood. She grew up primarily with her dad. And Joey brings this up because he's like, you mentioned that you were raised with a lot of men, which we hadn't seen that conversation, but it was interesting that he remembered this. And so he brought it up and it was a very organic way that she then began to talk about her childhood. 
was Joey being like you said, that you feel like you are the way you are sometimes because you were raised with like men. So she, she grew up primarily with her dad for a while. She didn't really understand why her mom wasn't around. And then she found out that when she was really young, she and her mom got into a really bad car accident when she when she was one, I think. She was announced dead at the scene and it was like a her mom broke like all her bones. It was a miracle that she like survived. It was written about in newspapers. Her mom went through depression and wasn't around for a bit because of that. But she says her dad fought for her mom and stood by her. And she's always trying to see the positive in things and not dwell on the negative. And she and her mom are still a work in progress, but her mom did say Joey was cute and that she'll be excited to meet him. And he says that he likes that she's thinking about that. Like, I just, I love this. And I feel like it really does give insight into Maria and why she just isn't, isn't ruminating, isn't holding on to all, because it can't feel good to be called a bully, to be told, when you are being assertive and in no way aggressive, which is why I say it's not a constructive way to communicate, to say you attacked me, that's what happened. Because the person, Maria in this case, is like, I didn't attack this person. How can she say that I attacked her? That's not what happened. I don't need to keep going on rants, but I just, I love Maria and I appreciate this insight into her life. And I think it really, makes a lot of sense about her approach to conflict, about her, just the way she's been on, on the show. And I love Maria, I'm rooting for Maria. I'm a Maria fan. And Maria gets the group date bros, period. Then Rachel's one-on-one happens and Rachel talks in her ITMs about how she's a slow burn, doesn't like sharing much because of what she's been through. On the day portion, they get dance lessons, they perform. It's like, it's interesting, but it's it's just, I like Rachel, I really do, but I, I just, I'm not seeing it anymore. I saw it a bit more earlier on, but like, I just, I feel like maybe some of the other relationships have progressed and, and Joey's just not feeling it anymore because I didn't feel their ease. I also think Rachel's like wall with opening up, I think is hindering things and not in the sense that you need to like, share trauma, but it just feels like she's very closed off. I think there are two factors. Like I think Rachel is struggling to open up. And I also think Joey, maybe because other women have opened up is progressing further emotionally in other relationships. So this is just like, like, I don't see it. I don't see it. But anyways, on the night portion, <laughs> I wrote in my notes, I gotta be honest, I just don't feel much between them. She says she's a slow born. She talks about how she was born and raised in Hawaii and she moved to Maine to pursue nursing. She opens up about how difficult it is. She's in the ICU. She's been with people who say it's hard dating a nurse. She says she feels calm and safe with him. And after today, she realizes she's deserving of what he has to offer. She gets the rose. He says he's eager to learn more. There are fireworks. It's a very, like I, I have to say this like opening up, talking about being an ICU nurse is one of those like stories or facts you share about yourself that I feel like is more, it would work better in a group date setting where it's like a brief, because the reality of The Bachelor is that you on your one-on-one, -on -one, you kind of share your biggest trauma or even if it's not your biggest trauma, like that's where you open up, that's where you break down these walls. And I think it, like, I think it was a mistake on Rachel's part to just talk about her profession. And I'm not saying that hasn't been hard, but I don't know, maybe it was the way they edited it. I just felt like this was 
the tone of it felt more like a group date cocktail party conversation than a, like we just spent the day together she could have even tied it to like the dream of dancing she always wanted to come to spain to dance with her boyfriend and like like i don't know there's just something missing from this date there there were there was a je ne sais quoi missing from this date. Then we see Joey and Jesse playing tennis. I feel like this is happening like every other episode. Like, okay, we get it. He plays tennis. <laughs> I think Jesse Palmer really just wanted to learn how to play tennis better. And he's like, well, if we film it, will you do Like, I don't know. That's the vibe I'm getting. But he, J- Jesse really wanted this. And they're like, you can get more screen time. I don't know. That's the vibe I'm getting. Then we see the women getting ready for the cocktail party and rose ceremony. At the cocktail party, Joey gives a little speech like he always does. I like Joey's speeches. Some of the bachelors have really boring speeches. I like Joey's. I feel like every week he touches on something relevant. Like the thing about Joey is that he feels like real. He feels authentic. It feels like he is replying to things based on the content, like the stimuli or whatever that he is receiving. Not just that he has like a script of like things that he says. Because sometimes it does feel that way with The Bachelor. I know they don't have like written scripts, but I feel like they just say the same things. And maybe it has something to do with like the way producers feed them questions about like, how do you feel about this journey? I don't really know. I've never been in that environment where producers feeding me questions in an ITM. But I'm sure their vocabulary then gets in your head and that's why it feels kind of the same. But anyways, on the cocktail party, first we see one-on-one time with Daisy. She asks how he's doing, which is nice. He says that he struggles with it a lot of times, like the whole experience of being The Bachelor. It's nice, they have a nice heart-to-heart. I like when, I think it's important, even though that they, each role is difficult in its own regard. And I think it's nice when a contestant is like, how have you been? Like, how has this experience been for you? Because I think that's a normal part of a relationship is both of you checking in, you know? So I, I like that. I see it with Daisy. Jess is talking in her ITMs about really wanting time. She's clearly in her head. She's clearly in her head. Like it's giving women are moving further along and I'm starting to doubt myself because I thought I would be. I feel similarly to Sydney. Like I feel like sometimes you go on the show and maybe you have a great experience with the casting process or maybe you just think very highly of yourself and you think you'll make great TV. Hell, I think if I were to audition for The Bachelor, I would go in being like, I know that I'm gonna make great TV because because I feel like that's like a level of confidence that you should maybe have. I, I don't know, I think I would be good on The Bachelor because I have that, that level of like, I am so funny, I am so charismatic, I have such an interesting story and personality that will translate well to TV. But I also have a level of like self hatred. <laughs> Not that you have to hate yourself, but I have a very, like I have a self-critic. So like if I were to get into one of these, I also try very hard to like ground things in reality. So I feel like if I were to be in one of these environments and I thought like, I am so interesting, I am gonna be great. And then it didn't go the way I planned. I feel like I would be able to manage my expectations and like regulate my emotions. So I think I would be fine. You know what's so funny is I, for a while, I used to always joke that I would go on The Bachelor. And then for like the last few years of my life, I was like, I could never go on The Bachelor. Like I could never go on it. And now I, the older I get, the more I'm like, honestly, I couldn't at this moment in time. But I feel like if I was at a different phase in my life, I feel like I actually could be pretty decent 
on reality TV. Like I think I I could go into it prepared and I could manage the I don't really know though because people say that and then you can't expect the amount of hate you get. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. I didn't mean to go on that tangent. Jess is in her head. Then we see brief one-on-one -on -one time with Jen and she checks his heart with the step with the stethoscope and he's like it's it, I like swooned. Like when him and Jen are together. I'm like swooning. I'm like, oh my god, this is so romantic. Like I wish that was me Like do I want to be Joey or do I want to be Jen in this instant? I don't really know I think I'd rather be Joey dating Jen no. <laughs> But I'm not kidding actually She's checking his heart and he's like, what does it do when I, like what about when I do this and he kisses her like that's so romantic I'm swooning. Then we see brief one-on-one -on -one time with Kelsey T. Jess's like doubtful ITMs are intercut with like all of these one-on-one -on -one shots for the most part, not Daisy's. After Daisy's, the brief one-on-one -on -one time is intercut with like Jess being like doubting herself and spiraling, I guess, if you want to call it that. Then we see brief one-on-one -on -one time with Autumn, brief one-on-one -on -one time with Caitlyn. Maria interrupts that and Kaylin is like super fine with it. Like she's like, yeah, of course, no issues. Kaylin's also a Libra I found out. So like that tracks. I'm not bachelor horoscopes. You should, if you care about astrology in regards to the bachelor, I recommend bachelor horoscopes. Like she does a great job. I love bachelor horoscopes. But anyways, Maria interrupts Caitlin's one-on-one -on -one time. Jess is furious that Maria, that Maria stole Joey or that Maria interrupted and is talking to Joey. She says it's disrespectful. And I am pissed about this, okay? I'm really pissed about this because if you're gonna be angry about time and stealing, be consistent, be consistent, Jess, because I personally think it's worse. Jess stole Joey, to, like tw like she's, she, she talked to him like twice on night one, which like I don't particularly care. Like if I'm in that environment, I don't think I would be like all up in arms about that. Like it might be a little bit shitty, but at the end of the day, it's like the producers are the ones who like, are like go interrupt them now. Like you don't have, you don't have control over that of when you speak to the lead. Like you can try to have some agency and be like, I wanna speak to him now. And like, if you have a good, if the producers don't hate you, like you can probably talk to them easier. But at the end of the day, like you don't have free will in this environment. It's like produced. There are producers who allow you to go into rooms at a certain time. So I just wouldn't be offended by that. But like, if you're gonna be offended about it, be consistent. Just in care night one, when there's like 30 women and the largest amount of women go home on night one. I think also the, the largest, actually, I don't know about proportionally, but like night one, there are like 30, 25 to 30 women. And like at the end, there's like, like a third of those women go home. So it's just stupid to me. And, and and very and not everybody gets time. Like time is so much more limited. The chances of you going home are really high. And at that point, the stakes are really high. Like I think going home night one on The Bachelor would probably be one of the worst case scenarios because you probably either you quit your job or you take you took paid time off or maybe you have a flexible job that whatever. Job aside, like maybe you had to give maybe you had to make all these arrangements for like approximately two months you were gonna be gone. You had to buy a bunch of cocktail dresses. You're not getting paid to be there. Like imagine you, you, it's like basically like an investment with the hopes that maybe you, you make a far enough run that you gain a few Instagram followers. You can use the momentum to build a platform and, and monetize that experience in some capacity, right? It's an investment. If you go home, like going home night one would really suck, not just because you put in all that risk with very little reward, you know what I mean? So it's just like, 
really stupid to me that somebody who doesn't care at all about people's time on night one is like up in arms that like weeks in when he knows you he knows you he's had a conversation with you at this point it's probably not set in stone but he probably knows if you're getting a hometown at this point he knows you he has relationships with each of you to some capacity yeah maria has a rose because he likes maria more than he likes you like that extra time that he got with maria in my opinion is not more valuable than the time that she stole from people on night one so it's just stupid to me coming from jess then maria comes back and jess says passive aggressively pretty early convo for someone with a rose and maria is clearly just like no longer entertaining this and like is she a little harsh in this interaction yeah but like she's been called a bully she's been told she's verbally assaulting people she's been ostracized people have gotten mad at at their friends on the cast for simply being nice to her like i would be at my wits end too she she's like very firm with jess she's kind of harsh but it's like fine in my opinion i'm a maria defender jess gets upset and walks away and she like is is crying she like curses as she's walking away maria doesn't curse i always think about like in this conflict i'm like if they treated if if maria had reacted the way jess is reacting now that would have been used against her. I mean, when Maria was crying last on at the end of episode four, that was used against her. But Jess cries and it's Maria's fault. Like everything is Maria's fault. It's so annoying. Like I feel exhausted by this and I'm not even living it. <laughs> and Jess is crying and Leah is comforting her. And Maria says that she, like she, she says that it's the way she came out her. Like if she had just been like, I'm upset. Like, and, I think that is just the point. The communication styles are very different. She's passive aggressive. Signe is factually inaccurate. They are making so many mistakes in terms of like communication, you know? But anyways, the cocktail party comes to an end and the roses as presented in order are Jen, Kelsey T, Daisy, Leia, Lexi, Caitlin, and Jess. Going home are Medina and Autumn. Medina, I feel kind of bad for her, but she really, like Sydney, not only brought herself down, she brought, and all in the pursuit to get Maria out, she brought herself down, she brought Medina down. She is is likely bringing Leia and Jess down too, because at this point, that's all they are, is, is, is Sydney's minions. And I feel bad for them, not all of them. I feel bad for Medina though, because she did, she was hurt and she was upset, but she squashed the beef like a mature person. And she acted like a human being to Maria and was like nice to her. And that just made them angrier. You know what bullies do? Bullies exclude people. It is textbook bu bully behavior to get mad at somebody because they are associating, like you're literally isolating Maria. They can't even speak to her and be cordial in an environment that they're forced to be in together. But she's the bully. Like, I feel like I'm going crazy. Anyways, the next place they're going is Canada, which is so funny. I feel like they never go to Europe and then Canada. No hate to Canada, I'm excited though. They're going to Montreal. But that is where the episode ends. So my predictions are, I think, I didn't, this wasn't my original Final Four prediction, but I saw a conspiracy TikTok that four women have baby pictures as their profile pictures on Instagram. And somebody was like, could this be them pointing that they're going to hometowns? I don't know if that's true, but if it is, the final four is Kelsey A, Daisy, Maria, and Rachel, which is interesting to me because I feel like my prediction without this would be Kelsey A, Daisy, Jen, 
and Maria, I guess. I don't know. Maria, I feel really like I didn't feel like she was in the final four because I thought the drama would prevail. But I don't know. I'm starting to feel better about Maria's chances. I think she's like picking up. I also saw a clip that Joey might have like accidentally revealed them that Maria went on a hometown because he talked about the Canadian flag being blurred in the first episode. And then he was like, on her hometown, the Canadian flag is not blurred. And I saw some people being like, maybe he met her intro package. I don't really know. But if she does go to hometowns, that'd be an interesting slip up. So I don't know. But people that I for sure feel good about, actually, I do think maybe Rachel over Jen, just based off of um, Bachelor fan take, did some sleuthing about the future previews. And it looks like Rachel's in one of the like final filming locations. So I do think Rachel will get a hometown. I just, I really like Jen, but Kelsey A, Daisy for sure. Rachel, I guess, and, and Maria is a question mark for me. Maybe instead of Maria it would be Jen because somebody did reply to my comment on that TikTok. I said, oh my God, that would be such an interesting, if they are, that's such an interesting, like that's so interesting. Like, would it be a coincidence or did they do it on purpose? If they are the final four, like I would just be so interested. And somebody replied saying that Maria's had that for a while. So maybe it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Conspiracy town population me. I don't really know though. Maybe Jen gets to the final hometown, but I don't feel, I feel like Jen, maybe I'm just more in love with her than, than Joey is. But anyways, that, those are my predictions. The majority of this episode is gonna be Bachelor, but you know what, I'm not, I'm not angry about that. Moving on to Vanderpump Rules, season 11, episode three. It's called, You're Not the Queen of the Group. It opens up back at Tom's house after the, like at the party where James was peeing on a bush. Sandoval tells Schwartz about his convo with James and Schwartz is clearly disappointed. Every time Sandoval says something, Schwartz is like, you should have just said yes. Like, it's so funny. He's like tired of trying to teach Sandoval how to have a human reaction to things. That sounds, I'm not trying to dehumanize Tom. I just like, I don't know him. I'm not trying to diagnose him. It's just his behavior is very concerning to me. I guess not human reaction, like empathetic, effective reaction. Like this man is so immature. And what kind of therapy is he in? Because I don't think, I think if he's in talk therapy, like that is not the kind of therapy that would help him. I think he needs to learn skills, you know? Learn to change his behavior. Learn how to, it feels like he reacts off of emotion. Like somebody says something and he will like reply defensively. And it's like, sometimes you gotta take pause and be like, where is this originating? Like, do I feel like my, ego's attacked? Do I feel like my sense of self is attacked? Do I think my pride is attacked? Like it feels like somebody says you did X thing and he gets defensive instead of immediately trying to empathize with the person who is expressing that he hurt them. You know what I mean? Like I, I think he genuinely, and I don't mean this in like a mean way. I think he needs therapy to learn how to like change his behavior, learn how to communicate properly, him and Sydney. Anyways, Sandoval says that what James did was the same thing. Schwartz tells Sandoval that like, that's not the first time that somebody's gonna come at him and he should maybe learn how to like handle it better. And I agree, I agree wholeheartedly. Then at emo night, James tells the group about the Sandoval, Sandoval conversation. They're all like, why would he bring up Kristen? That's so stupid. Sheena is shocked in her confessionals that James was the first to be reached out to because after he said the tomatoes thing, she's just offended, I guess. Then Ariana says Sandoval has no one who will be honest with him. And the editing for this episode was so funny because they have her saying that and then they cut to him like 
venting to like some of his friends at his party about James and how what James did was worse and how relitigating the James Christian saga. I, 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 I spoke about this so much last week that I'm not gonna keep just repeating myself. It just, I don't believe that Sandoval was genuinely still upset about that. I feel like he heard somebody saying you did X and he's like, actually you did X but worse to me. Sydney said the same thing. She was like, anyways, um, I can't, I can't. The more I talk about Sandoval, the more I feel like my brain is melting. But anyways, then emo night was a success. Schwartz leaves Tom's party to go to emo night. Says in his confessionals that he doesn't want to give up on Tom Sandoval. He's late to emo night. He missed Sheena's set. And I think Sheena says like, this is what you get for choosing Tom Sandoval over like the cool people or something. She doesn't say the cool people. I'm just calling them the cool people. Tom says he hasn't heard from Raquel. He's upset that she didn't call him on his birthday. Then that night ends and we get like brief glimpses into the next morning at James and Ali's apartment, Lala's apartment, Tom and Ariana's house. And then we see Katie come to see Ariana at her house. Anna's cleaning up from the party. Katie and Ariana are getting IVs. Ariana says Sheena still has a soft spot for Schwartz, but that he really doesn't need to be invited to things. And Katie agrees with Ariana. Then we see Lisa at pump packing things up. Tom comes, Sandoval comes and brings her flowers. They chat. He mentions New Zealand, says he hasn't talked to Ariana. Lisa says it's ridiculous that they're still living together and that Tom should move out because it would be the gentlemanly thing to do. And he's like, or somebody could stay in the house. Like I put a lot of work into it. There's just no accountability. He gets defensive when Lisa tries to like call him out. Lisa says like he created the situation. Tom is mad at Sheena because she reached out to him, but also around the same time was talking about him and Billy on her podcast, Raquel on her podcast. Like he's just mad at Sheena about her podcast. Tom talks about Sheena having Raquel's ex on her podcast. I don't remember the ex's name, but like some guy in the Scandal episode, Sheena said that a mutual friend had said that Raquel told him that Tom told Raquel that Tom and Ariana were in an open relationship. So Sheena said that on the show. So she brought this guy on the podcast to corroborate her story. But Tom is saying that he talked very graphically about like sexual like sexual things with Raquel. I haven't listened to the podcast nor do I care to. So I don't know the details about that and I'm not going to really dive into it. He says he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, like damned if I do, damned if I don't. Lisa says that he needs to have some remorse. He says he does. And then he says that he battled with suicidal thoughts. Lisa's upset about this because she told him to tell her if he was feeling that way because Lisa's brother, Lisa's brother died by suicide or died of suicide. I don't know the proper way to say that. I have something that I wanna talk about regarding this whole thing, because it's like, I obviously like never want to say like, you didn't feel that way. I just think as somebody who has attempted suicide and struggles with suicidality and on occasion passive suicide ideation, not as much as I used to, I've gotten a lot better. It is a known fact and I'm not trying to make any allegations about Tom Sandoval, but it is a known fact that like abusive people will use suicide to manipulate people. And it's really hard for me as somebody who this is a real struggle for 
to feel like that is just something people say when they are facing a lot of scrutiny and it feels like they use it as like an out and i don't want to say that it's hard because i don't want to say that and then somebody actually because a lot of because hate and and all of this kind of stuff and scrutiny can get you to a very bad place I, I just, it's really, I don't have a coherent thought about it. I guess it just bothers me because I don't know if Tom Sandoval genuinely has felt this way or if he's simply using it as a manipulation tactic. And I, I think that is just one of those manipulation tactics that really angers me because it's like, it's an extremely painful thing to experience and to have people use that as a way to excuse or like manipulate their victims into being scared for their well-being while they're terrorizing other people or like hurting other people it really upsets me personally so i i don't know and i do understand lisa's perspective that it's better safe than sorry and when you've lost somebody to suicide i understand and i feel that way too like i have i, I think that's maybe part of the reason that I like, I take when people, I take that very seriously to the point where I, like, I, do, I don't know. I do, I guess I feel like I would be, I would fall prey to that kind of thing because I, I take that seriously and I don't just like brush it off if somebody says that they're suicidal because I, I've been there, you know, and I, like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's hard for me because it's like, I never want to say you don't actually feel that way, but it is also a tactic that like people use you know, so it's hard for me. It's really hard for me, but I understand where Lisa's coming from and she has a personal relationship with him and she doesn't want something to happen to him. And I understand that. I do. Like I just, anyways, it's a very sensitive topic for me, I guess. I think I, I have the right to feel upset. But anyways, then we see Lala and Ariana shopping. They talk about how they're going to see you next Tuesday. They think James is way better when he's sober. Lala talks about how she thinks sobriety really just benefits like most people like you feel better physically you don't engage with people that you wouldn't if you were of right mind but she also acknowledges that she, you know she doesn't want to like push james like if he wants to come go to a meeting he goes she, he goes but anyways then we see sheena and katie meet for dinner they both get mocktails there's a big a lot of them are not drinking katie has a date coming up she like met him at the emo night then sheena apologizes for inviting schwartz to pump or whatever she invited schwartz to or emo night emo night i guess then schwartz brings his dog into pump dogs for grooming he talks to lisa about his brother got rushed into the hospital he might have cirrhosis i don't know what that is yeah it's like a liver disease i i'm sure it, it's not just caused by alcoholism but like that impacts it. He says that it's related to his addiction. I'm not like putting that those words into his mouth. And he, he opens up in his confessionals about how he's been thinking about his relationship to alcohol because of his brother's addiction. Lisa says she doesn't think about Tom Sandoval that the punishment didn't really fit the crime, especially because Ariana's living her best life. Lisa's worried about Sandoval and his, his thoughts of suicide. And then Lisa invites tom schwartz to lake tahoe because she's opening up a restaurant there and she says he should invite the group then at see you next tuesday schwartz pops in despite not being invited lala calls that out but he says in his confessionals he's like i'm glad that they're at least like she's roasting me but at least she's acknowledging my presence <laughs> schwartz says he's sober curious at least says she's also sober curious lala in her confessionals is like i've heard it all People are sober curious, people are California sober. Like then Schwartz tells James about Tahoe. James says he 
doesn't want to be angry anymore. So he'll get he'll let it go about Tom. And he's not going to like start a fight if Tom goes. Schwartz is so happy to hear that. Then Sandoval comes to Sir for the see you next Tuesday. Says he's ready to be apologetic and humble. He says this in his confessionals. Then he feels weird being at Sir as well. His friend who he's there with says, well, she reached out to you. And he says, yeah, but then with the podcast, like he's really, he's really holding on to the podcast, which, you know, I'm not here to say whether he should or he shouldn't. I just think it's an interesting thing to note. Then a Sir server, <laughs> a server at Sir, <laughs> his name's Jesse, comes up, talks about how he had to unfollow him because he didn't want to get the hate and Sandoval like cries in his confessionals about how all these people around him received all this hate. And I will say, I don't think people should have received hate because they were following Tom Sandoval at one time. I think if you stood, like if you defended his affair, I, like, I don't know. I think the internet just gets really angry and hate mobby. And as much as I criticize Sandoval and I genuinely struggle to understand his like empathy, the way he, interacts with people and just like, I, I really find him very confusing. It feels very foreign to me, the way he re replies to people saying they're hurt. It's very confusing. I don't know. But as much as I have those criticisms, I don't believe in sending people hate. It's such an unnecessary, like why, why do you, I actually, I'm the opposite. Not to like toot my own horn, but when <laughs> I send people love on the internet, okay? But like, it's just unnecessary. It genuinely is unnecessary to send people hate. Especially if, like, you were following somebody. Like, especially this this guy who worked at Sir. They probably knew each other for years. You know? I don't want to be held responsible for, like, my acquaintance's actions. I don't know what people are doing in their everyday interpersonal lives. And obviously it's different because it's on, like, public platform and a public stage. But it's also just, like, I wouldn't want a bunch of people hating me because some guy I follow on Instagram who I knew from like a job I worked at cheated on his partner in a really mean way and didn't, you know, people take things too far. Schwartz then tells the group about Tahoe. Katie and Allie are like, but why would you invite Tom Sandoval? And then Schwartz says, because Ariana and Sandoval are in the same house, he thought it wouldn't be awkward. And Ariana says, that's different. There's a mediator. And then Lala asks why Schwartz feels the need to stand by Sandoval. So he says, one day he'll be devastated by Sandoval and he'll look back and question why he didn't let him go sooner. And I really wonder that too out of Schwartz because I find Schwartz very endearing. I find him at least to be more compassionate than Sandoval. And I just don't understand why. I mean, I'm not saying, I, but I also, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't, con like, I don't know. I also don't think, I mean, the, the person I have like closest to me in that capacity is like my sister. And I don't think that anything she did, but my sister is also just a much kinder person than Tom Sandoval. Like she would never, my sister feels remorse about things she didn't even do wrong. Something will happen and it's not even like her fault. It's just like, sometimes life happens. And she will feel guilty about that. And it's like, you didn't even wrong me, you're apologizing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't even know. It's just, I, 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 I couldn't imagine being friends with somebody like Tom Sandoval. I, like, I couldn't imagine being friends with somebody for like 10 years or more than that and like, and, and, and ending that relationship, I really couldn't. But I also couldn't Im imagine being friends with somebody like Tom Sandoval. I don't know, it's a very hard like position to put myself in because they don't understand it. 
Then Ariana says that she let go of Schwartz a long time ago and anything that anybody says in the group will fall on deaf ears. And he's like, you shouldn't speak for people. You're not the queen of the group, which is where the title of the episode comes from. Katie is like, but she can speak for the group because we agree with her. Katie also says that Tom should free himself of the torture he's under, which is funny, torture. That came up in The Bachelor. <laughs> then we see James is set. Sheena is heading to the bathroom and Sandoval sees her and he has to speak to her. And they speak in the back alley of Sir, which is a classic. He, she goes out first and he brings her a vodka soda, but she says she's three weeks sober today. Like a, a Tom, Schwartz is sober, curious. James is sober again. Law has obviously been sober. Like Sheena's sober for th like three weeks today. Sandoval's sober. They're all just getting sober, or at least momentarily, because Sandoval did say he was sober because Raquel was drinking. But I saw a clip from the after show, which I talk about this every week, but. He said that he was waiting. He like he was like it's so stupid because he was like I was staying sober because Raquel was staying sober and I thought when she got out we could have her first drink together. Like then you're not staying sober, buddy. It's like a cleanse or whatever. Or like she's not drinking right now because of her mental health. And I decided that I'm not gonna drink. So when she gets out, I can get her drunk for the first time. Like that is what you sound like. Is that man okay? Anyways, the conversation is super awkward. He like tries to comment on her outfit. She's like super not responsive. He says that everything he does is looked at in the worst way. Sheena asks that if he was remorseful and honest, like doesn't he think that if he had been remorseful and honest, things maybe would have been different. And he's like, I know I handled it like shit. And again, I said this last week and I'm not gonna keep like repeating the same thing, but Tom Sandoval, when he apologizes for things, it's like, I handled it poorly. I know I, what I did wrong. I know I did so much wrong. And he never says, I handled it poorly. I shouldn't have kept it a secret for eight months. He never goes into specifics of what he did. I find that concerning. But anyways, then he says he'd love to talk to Ariana because she's been way less proactively vindictive. And he finds that surprising because he, she's the one he did it to. He brings up the podcast. Sheena says that his behavior at his concerts has been weird and the definition of a narcissist. He says it's not, and she's like a narcissist will never admit that they are one. And he's like, I know, that's why Lala won't admit she is one. And, and Sheena's like, that's offensive and I have to go. And again, with this, Lala wasn't even in the conversation. Like James, that conversation was like, James said, are you sorry you betrayed me? And he said, well, you betrayed me 10 years ago. He didn't say that verbatim, but he said, will you betray me with Kristen? Something happened 10 years ago. In this situation, Lala's not even in the conversation. He's talking to Sheena and Sheena's like, you are acting like a narcissist. And he's like, Lala's a narcissist. Like what planet does this man live on? And you know what? I don't know much about sobriety in terms of like, you know, the working the program. Like I know, I know brief parts, but I do know part of it is like making amends, taking accountability, taking inventory of your life. I feel like Lala is probably a much more emotionally mature, introspective, empathetic person than Sandoval is. Like, does she have her ego and her pride and like, yeah, of course she does. But at least she puts in the work daily to be a good version of herself, you know? What what does Sandoval have to show? And I'm not even saying like Lala is perfect or the best person ever, but it's like to say, to deflect once again, 
and say, yeah, Lala's a narcissist. Sheena and Lala are like best friends. Like their kids are best friends. They like have how like a house houses next to each other at Palm Springs. Like what is he talking about? That was just a nasty thing that he like brought up. I really don't like him. And then he Sheena is like getting up and he says that after the podcast with Raquel's ex, he really had to talk her down. And again, this feels like guilty and weird where he's like, I, I want you to know that I had to talk her down. Like Sheena, you did something wrong. And maybe she did, but it's just like, if Sandoval had any humility or like compassion, maybe him pointing things out that other people did wrong wouldn't feel like such utter bullshit, but it's like, I don't care what you have to say. And I will say, I haven't listened to the podcast, like I said earlier. And I will say, I will say, again, I, I can criticize people. I don't know the details of the podcast, but if it, if it was like this guy talking about intimate details about his relationship with Raquel, then that, then Sheena's explanation of like, I needed to clear my name about the rumor, about the open relationship rumor. To me, that doesn't really hold weight because this guy didn't then need to dive into like Raquel begged me to have sex with her or something. There are lines to everything. Moments where everybody could have maybe done a little bit less. Then Tom, the episode ends with Tom saying that his relationship with Sheena was probably like the biggest one he lost. But anyways, moving on to The Traitor season two, episode eight. This episode is called Knives at Dawn. It opens with breakfast. Sheree and CT are in first. Then CT says in his confessional is that if Trishel is murdered, he'll be blamed. So he hopes Trishel isn't murdered. Then Phaedra and Sandra are next. Suspicion is still in poverty. Peter is doing too much. Phaedra says, if you're Sherlock Holmes, be a nice Sherlock. Don't be Sherlock the dick. Then John's in next. John fears that Trishel got murdered. Kevin and Peter are in next. Peter knows that he would have gotten murdered, so he's glad that he had the shield, but he's worried about his allies who don't have a shield. CT thinks Bergy will be murdered because the traitors went for him once before, so why not do it again when they know he doesn't have a shield? Sandra thinks it might be Kate or MJ. Kevin wants Parvati to come in because if she was murdered, then he has no idea who a traitor would be. Kate and MJ are in next. So it's between, it's between Trishel or Bergy. Technically, and Parvati too, but I know she's a traitor, so. And at this point I was like, I feel like murdering Trishel would be the smartest one on Phaedra's part, but I also think maybe she doesn't know that that, that Trishel's on to her. From a viewer, I was like, ooh, they might kill Trishel. I honestly, I think, I get why they killed Bergy, but killing Trishel would have been so interesting because it could add all this like extra layer of drama with CT. I don't know. I feel like creating chaos is always a good thing. Bergy felt kind of like an uneventful kill. No hate. Oh, I just revealed that Bergy was murdered. Sorry. Um, Kate says that she thought she'd be murdered, but she guesses people trust her and she's like, they shouldn't. I'd throw them in the moat for $10. Then the last people in are Perverty and Trishel, so Bergie was murdered, which I spoiled earlier. R.I.P. Bergie. We see them and it flashes back to them in the turret deciding to kill Bergie because he was the closest to Peter and they couldn't kill Peter. Again, I understand the logic, but Trishel would have, Trishel was also in that group, but there would have been that added like CT layer that I think could have been really interesting. But the traitors are also like a lot of suspicions on them. You know, sometimes they just want an easy kill, I guess. Then John toasts to Bergy, which was stupid. I mean, the poisoning, didn't we see that last time? Then Peter says vengeance is coursing through his veins. 
for he wants to avenge Berkey's death. Truchelle thinks Phaedra is a traitor and that they should go for her first. Alan comes in and says that for the mission, they're going to his holiday home. A special guest will meet them there. And he says, who doesn't enjoy a country escape? So Kate thinks it's the cabin for sure because she was in season one. So she remembers that he or Trishel thinks that they need to change their mindset. She's sure Phaedra's a traitor. She knows Dan wouldn't throw them a faithful. She's trying to convince Peter to get rid of Phaedra first. Peter says to get rid of Parvati and then suck up to Phaedra. And then Trishel says Parvati's by herself, Phaedra isn't. And Trishel tells Peter to get on Parvati's side and Peter's convinced he decides to go with Trishel's plan. So Peter tries to suck up to Parvati, convince her that he doesn't think she's a traitor. Parvati in her confessional says she's willing to work with Peter if it takes the suspicion off of her. MJ is confused about Parvati and Peter having a conversation and nobody is letting up on Parvati. They're like, Parvati is just making her around. She's definitely guilty. There's no way Peter will change his mind. Kate says Parvati has a yoga teacher voice and yoga teachers are, <laughs> she says, they are convincing you to stay in hell. Kate is really funny. I find Kate really funny. She's kind of annoying sometimes as a viewer because I'm like, you're ruining things that I want to happen. Like when Dan was trying to save himself, and Kate interjected. Like, Kate always gets in the way of the plans that I wanna see go through, but she's also very interesting TV. So what can I say? Phaedra says Peter acts so crazy, he might be a traitor. Peter and Parvati call a truce. He says maybe she isn't a traitor, but he thinks Phaedra might be. And if they can get suspicions, if they can get Phaedra out, suspicions might be off Parvati. So then, on the car ride to the mission, Trichelle tells the people in her car who are Parvati, Sandra, and John that she's more suspicious of Phaedra than Parvati. Sandra in her confessional says she's still suspicious of Parvati. For the mission, the guest is Dr. Will and not that many people know him. I have to say they timed it poorly with Dan and Janelle leaving because it would have been way more interesting to see Janelle and Will reunite on screen than it would be all these people be like, oh, Dr. Will. Only like Parvati and Sandra knew him because they're from like CBS too. So like, I don't know. It was kind of annoying, like disappointing on their end. But Dr. Will, I have to say, so charismatic, so funny. Every time he's on my screen, I'm like, I enjoy him. He's just a fun character on TV. Like one thing about Dr. Will is he knows how to make good TV. And I can never say that he doesn't. It, it, it was a nice consolation prize, I guess for those of us missing the big brother people. It's like an escape room. They're in a cabin and th like they have to escape through tunnels. There's up to 2000, uh, there's up to 20,000 available, like little gold coins throughout the tunnels available for them. There's also one shield. And for every person who doesn't escape, their earnings are reduced by 1000. And they can say a safe word to quit. There's like a light switch and when it's on, when the lights are on in the cabin, they're off in the tunnels. So somebody has to like press the lights for them to be on in the tunnels, but they'll be in the dark in the cabin. Kate is doing that, but then she sees a trap door right above her head. And she is like, I'm not doing this job anymore. She switches with Kevin because she knows that something is gonna fall from the hole, which is very smart on, on her end, I will say. I will say of all the missions, this is one of the ones I found most interesting to watch like it was it was fun to me i guess there are lots of bugs that are thrown on them maggots 
cockroaches. I don't even know. At some point there are live mice. Why are, why, why did they have to have mice there? Like not even from like, oh, they're scared of the mice, but like the poor mice, what did they do? Also, wh where did they film this? And no, I, that was stupid. I know they filmed it in Scotland, but what I was gonna say is I wonder if Scotland has different rules in terms of like animals on set, because I know that, I don't know, maybe they did have like an animal handler who like made sure they were okay. But I feel like, I don't know, I watched a, like Yellow Jacket's one of my favorite shows. I talk about it like every, <laughs> I talk about it all the time. One of, there was like a, a scene in the first season where like there was a deer that was being eaten by maggots or something. There were maggots on set, like they had live maggots on set. And one of the actresses is vegan and she was like, I felt so bad for the maggots that she like was moving them to try to release them into the wilderness. Because season one, if you don't know about Yellow Jackets, they filmed, not all of it obviously, but a good amount was filmed like in the woods. It was filmed like, yeah, like in the Canadian, actually, no, yeah, in the Canadian wilderness. It was filmed in the woods. Season two, because they did winter, it was on a set and all the snow was fake. I think they filmed a few shots. I know Sophie Thatcher, who played Nat, like who plays young Natalie, and then the guy whose name I don't remember who plays Travis, they shot some some things of them actually in like the the mountains in the snow. But most of Yellow Jacket season two was filmed in a studio. Season one was filmed on site. So this actress is Samantha Hanratty, she plays young Misty. She was like, I felt so bad for them. I tried to release them into the woods and the like animal handler was like they're not native to this area like it's not it's bad for them it's bad for the ecosystem and we're treating them well like the maggots had a, a handler there's no way these bugs and these mice have handlers i hope at least the mice do i don't know i feel really bad for the mice like what is with all these live animals i say that but then big brother had live snakes for the pressure cooker this last season and they didn't have a handler it's all very sad to me. I'm just like, why are we still using animals? It's 2024, like enough. MJ quits. She says a safe word, it's Haggis. Then Phaedra quits not soon after, not long after. Trishelle and CT are in the tunnels and they see a shield and he lets her have it. Peter tells John and Trishelle and CT not to tell anybody who has the shield to keep it a secret. Then Kate and Sheree quit. All the Bravo people are down. Kevin is the only one left in the cabin. <laughs> He's like controlling the light switch all by himself now. The rest of them are out. And CT comes back to the cabin to help Kevin out of the cabin through the tunnels. They brought out a total of 15,000, but they lost 4,000 because four people left the cabin. So the total is 11,000, which is not that bad. And honestly, I would leave. Like I, I would leave the cabin. I'd be like, it's a thousand dollars. Like. We're not all gonna win this at the end. And like, if the person who wins this really want a thousand dollars, like I'll pay them. I mean, I, Emmy Cardinale, wouldn't be able to afford that. Like, I don't have a thousand dollars to spare. They would literally like, that. The, I, I would, I would, I could not, have, but like these people have money, you know, a thousand dollars to them is like what? And they keep the shield a secret. So then we see Peter tell Parvati that they have the votes, so she shouldn't worry. And I wish we had seen Peter actually like talking to his people because I don't know why he says they have the votes. Like, do they or is he just assuming that they will do what he says? Because we never see him debriefing with his team and being like, guys, this is the plan. We still think Parvati's a traitor. We're just trying to convince her that she's, we're trying to pretend that we think she's not 
so we can stay safe for one more night. Like something. It doesn't seem like he had that conversation with his people, but maybe he did and it wasn't shown. Anyways, Parvati is trying to convince John she's faithful. Kate says Parvati's been mentioned like every time she's been, since she's been here, like every round table. So she just wants to get Parvati out, get that one sorted. Trichelle says she thinks it's Phaedra and a lot of, but a lot of people are hesitant. People are like, it's been Parvati this whole time. Why are we gonna change our minds? At the round table, Parvati starts. She addresses why she's been acting weird and quiet. So she trusted Dan and then he turned out to be a traitor. So now she feels like suspicions are on her. Or on her. Trichelle speaks next. She accuses Phaedra. She's like, Parvati's just been like quiet, but I think Phaedra has more convincing things against her. He bring, She brings up Phaedra's reactions at breakfast, says that she never seems nervous. Phaedra counters that by saying she has been nervous. She's just not frantic. Then Trichelle brings up Dan and how he wouldn't have given them a faithful name to save himself because then he would have been out the next day. Phaedra says Dan... She thinks Dan would have protected the traitors when questioned why he'd lie because Kevin, maybe John. Somebody asks Phaedra, like, what would Dan, if, I think John is like, if Dan knew he was leaving, why would he not try to save himself or something? Like, I don't know. And, and she's like, I think that he would protect the traitors, which is stupid. No, he'd protect himself. And Kate, this is where Kate like interjects and she says shit that pisses me off. I'm like, Kate, stop swaying the opinion in the direction I don't want it swayed. She says, and this is a stupid defense, and I, okay? Last time when she was like, not my burglicious, burglicious was problematic to you. Like, okay, maybe Dan's, like, uh, that I will concede to. But Kate's saying that she's like, I wish last season it was as simple as like, the traders voted, the, the traitor was who the last traitor voted for at a round table. Like, it wasn't that simple. I'm like, Kate, that is so stupid. I also, like, if Kate had been here the whole season, maybe, but like, she joined at that round table and assumes that she knows the interworkings of everybody's relationship before that. I find it annoying. Like, yes, you played the season, like just because something happened last season that you were on doesn't mean it's gonna happen again this season. It's a different season with a different cast of characters. I would argue a much more skilled cast. And I'm not saying that like the cast last season wasn't skilled in that like Sari obviously played amazing. And I think what we've seen this season really proves how great of a traitor she was. But I think because there were so many newbies, like the dynamics were completely different, first of all. Second of all, like it was, it was, it was a different game. It was a different game. Like every season of Big Brother that you play will have similarities because it's Big Brother and a lot of the, the games are like, the competitions are repeated. The structure is, is fairly the same with the occasional twist here and there. Like obviously, if you know how to play Big Brother and you're good at playing Big Brother, you will probably, not always, but like, you, you know, you could be consistent. But just because you were good at one season of Big Brother, it doesn't mean you're gonna be good at every single season of Big Brother because the people in the house impact that. The people in the castle impact the voting patterns. These traders have different strategies than the traders last season. That's a stupid argument, Kate. Then Kevin brings up Phaedra's twitch. Trichelle seconds it. She's like, I, I agree, I've noticed the twitch. Kevin asks, have you grown up with Twitches? And I would like to say, yes, Kevin, I did. It was a great movie. Love the Twitches franchise as a twin, you know? Then John says his intuition tells him that Parvati may be a duchess of deception and a mistress of murder. Iconic. Where does he come up with these things? John then goes on to say that he thinks that Parvati was Dan's partner in crime and she's been worried. This is an interesting point. I like that he brought this up. He says that she's been worried about banishment, but not murder. 
at the like sacrifice ceremony thing, the yellow jacket ceremony they had at the end of last uh, last week's episode, she didn't plead for her life. He found that concerning. And then Parfrey counters that she was nervous until the suspicion started being on her because she felt that that kept her safe from murder because the traitors would want to keep somebody suspicious around, which is a good defense. I thought that was a smart defense. Peter speaks up, says Phaedra hasn't shown true faithful qualities, specifically regarding fear. She hasn't really been afraid. She pushes back and calls him like the faithful king jokingly. jokingly. She's like, and you would know you're the king of the faithfuls. And then Peter says Dan did tell him something, whether he intended to do it or not. And he can't forget that. Kate pushes back, questions why they've changed their minds about poverty again. Again, Kate, Kate is, Kate is annoying me. She won't let herself be manipulated by Peter. She's like, why'd you change your mind all of a sudden? That's concerning. I wish, I, you know what I wish he would say? But maybe he feels like he can't because this wouldn't seem faithful enough of him. But I wish he could be like, I, I don't think, like I, I think there is, there might still be a chance that Parvati's a traitor. Of course there is. But I think Phaedra is also a traitor and she's the one that we're not seeing and she's the one who's going under the radar and she's the one we need to get out first because she is stronger. She has numbers. She's not going to be banished anytime soon. We need to get her out because Parvati is all alone. I don't know. I guess he doesn't want to say that, but I just, I wish he could be like, no, I'm not getting off of Parvati. Like I, I wish his approach hadn't been let's convince poverty that we don't think she's a traitor like i only did that because then like he wouldn't be murdered but i wish maybe he could have talked to the rest of the group and been like i still think poverty is a traitor i just don't think we need to get her out first and he what he should have said is guys we vote phaedra okay we vote phaedra and if i'm wrong vote me out next week but i'm sure she's a traitor something he should have and maybe there was something we didn't see but we just we didn't from what we saw there wasn't enough explanation to the greater group or even the the group of his allies his plan you know trishel knew that he still was going after poverty but the rest it did seem like a weird switch up, you know? Anyways, Kate pushes back questions why they changed their minds about poverty. Peter says his conversations with poverty changed his mind. And Phaedra points out the armory conversation from last week where Peter brought up working with her in poverty. Kate is really confused about why Peter changed his tune. He asks why she's defending Phaedra and he, and then Kate says that Dan sucked at playing the game and that's why he's not here. And he was not that, he wasn't that good and they shouldn't take his clue to heart, which really pissed me off. That's what got me because that's not true. Did Dan make a lot of mistakes throughout the game? Of course he did. But to say like he's a bad, then like he's a bad player and that's why he's gone and he wouldn't have like, okay. Dan played poorly in certain instances, but he's not stupid enough when he's on the chopping block to throw a faithful to the fire just so we can get banished next. What, what would that get him? Anyways, um, that really that really made me mad. Then Alan says that the time for talking is over. They have to vote. The votes are as follows. MJ votes for poverty. Phaedra votes for poverty. Sandra votes for poverty. Peter votes for Phaedra. John votes for poverty. Poverty votes for Phaedra. Kevin votes for Phaedra. Trishel votes for Phaedra. So I guess, you know, he wasn't able to convince John... Or Sandra. Well, I guess Sandra and MJ are not on his side, but John was on his side and he wasn't able to convince John. And CT is a swing. 
Anyways, then Trichelle votes Phaedra, Sheree votes Parvati, CT votes Parvati, and it's the last nail in Parvati's coffin, and Kate votes Parvati. So I guess Peter was able to convince a few people, but he wasn't able to convince John. I feel like John would have been a powerful vote or CT. I don't think Sheree would have voted against Phaedra, and I don't think Kate would have voted against Phaedra. I don't know. CT, I don't know. Anyways. Parvati's banished, she's a traitor. Phaedra cries about the suspicion being on her. Then Kevin is suspicious of Peter now. And he's like, fucked. He's fucked. I'm so mad. I'm so mad that he's fucked. Because, you know, I wish he could be like, this was Trishel's idea. I've been sus- I've been suspecting Parvati. But Trishel convinced me. I was I was misled. Anything, anything. Just throw but I get he's too faithful. He's too loyal to do that. But it wasn't even his idea. Like Peter is gonna be screwed over by this whole thing when it wasn't even his idea. It makes me upset. Kate doesn't like Peter, she says. Kate and Peter talk and she says in her confessional she doesn't like him. He lied to the traitor. She says to him that he lied to the traitor so he's, or he lied to the faithful so he's a traitor to the faithful as far as she's concerned. She says, I'm not saying Phaedra's not a traitor. I'm saying I knew you were doing shady shit. Then the bell tolls, it's time for bed. Phaedra is the sole traitor. She says, I deserve Miss Congeniality for Traitor's Award, hands down. <laughs> Iconic, so funny. And because she's the last traitor, she can recruit and she will meet somebody face to face in the dungeon and they will either accept the offer or die. And I'm mad that they didn't do this with Pilot Pete. Although I feel like maybe he died, but he would die. But I just feel like, I feel like the ultimatum would be so interesting with Peter. Because then he would really have to choose between like taking one for the team or or like becoming a traitor. Because before when he denied it, he still had the opportunity to, to save himself in some capacity. He could get shields, he like comp his way to the end by getting shields. There were options for him. Where this, he wouldn't have had to have an option. I wish they did that for Peter. But anyways, she decides to recruit Kate. So it's left on a cliffhanger. Kate walks into the dungeon. We don't know if she's going to accept. I think she'd be stupid not to, and I definitely think she will. I feel like why bring her in if she isn't willing to be a traitor? Like, I, I, I think this will be interesting. We'll see what happens from here. I have no predictions. I fear that Pilot Pete is not long for this world, and I'm invested enough in the season that I'll be fine, but I feel like all the people that I, I, I tuned in for are like leaving or gonna, like after Peter leaves, there was nobody that I tuned in for. Like I was excited about Janelle, Peter, and Dan. I was excited about Parvati. Like I, the people that I was excited about are all leaving. So I hope Pilot Peach sticks around a little bit longer. But anyways, that's all I have to say. This episode is going to be really long, so it'll probably be out Monday. I really want to get it out Sunday evening, but I really don't think it will be because it's it's a longer than normal episode, so I just anticipate it taking longer to edit. But that's okay. I swear, I swear this upcoming week I'm going to try to I'm, tr- I'm going to try to get the episode out on Sunday. I was so ready, but then The Bachelor had two episodes this week, ruined my whole ruined my whole schedule. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This episode will be out hopefully by Monday morning. Ideally Sunday night, but I really, I think Monday morning. So anyways, thank you for tuning in. It means a lot. Like and subscribe. <laughs> this isn't YouTube. Follow me wherever you listen to podcasts. Wait and review. Turn on your notifications. Send me a nice message on Instagram. I don't know. You don't have to do that. But thank you for tuning in. It means a lot. And you will hear from me next week. Bye.